Justin Oberholzer, a.k.a. the Cinemasochist of the Watch Skip Plus podcast. listening to Death by DVD, and this is Harry Scott Sullivan, your host. I'm Linnea, and I like Death by DVD. It's a statement. With me, he was shot six times and kicked in the face once by Buster Rhymes. It's THE Linus Fitness Center. Trick or treat, motherfuckers. Trick or treat! This episode of Death by DVD is going to be a special one because this initially was to be our very first Patreon episode. So what that means is all the hardcore editing, all the special sound effects, there might be a little bit here and there, but this is going to be one long, raw episode. And the subject matter for this episode I will leave up to Linus Fitness Center. And we have a Halloween treat. All of the episodes this October have had a treat because it's not just been Death by DVD. We had... Hunter Johnson, writer-director, his new film Sawed Off just recently came out October 11th. You can find it everywhere streaming, especially iTunes and I believe Amazon. And now we have an even more special, well, I can't say more special guest. That's, <laughs> that's that, cuts, that cuts off the guy. But we have another special guest, and anyone but us is always special on Death by DVD. Yes, with us tonight is uh, Justin from the excellent podcast Watch Skit Plus. 
Thank you for having me. And I think I, I feel like I can say I'm more special because that just comes off as narcissistic. But of course, the other guests are like, well, of course, he's going to think that. But thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited. We recently had the opportunity to do an episode with Watch Skip Plus, which should be out by the way before this one comes out. And that was a brilliant opportunity. I had a blast doing it. We had another special guest on the show, Samurai from the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. And the whole experience was really, really rewarding. I think we put out a, a pretty provocative episode. Yes, it's uh, I'm not just saying this because we're on here. Jose and I. We're on a high coming off of that, just thinking, oh, God, this is like our best episode yet, <laughs> just because the discussions we got into Halloween ends was just phenomenal. Yes, and we should mention that uh, uh, the other co-host of Watch Skip Plus, Jose, is unfortunately uh, unable to be here, but he's here in spirit and has uh, provided us some information to feed into the discussion as we go. Yes, I will not do a Jose voice, but I will speak for him. <laughs> Uh, that discussion being, uh, we will be providing our individual rankings and uh, discussion of the Halloween film series. The ultimate Halloween episode, which I, I can say this isn't the first time for Death by DVD. Back in the live era, I think 2014 or so, I did this entirely by myself. I did a, a ranking of every film at the time period, which ended with Rob Zombie's series. And then I did a live commentary for Rob Zombie's Halloween 1 and 2, which was exhausting. They're terrible, and they are no longer available at all because they sound abhorrent. There's no point in saving them. So for all intents and purposes now, it is the first time we've done this on Death by DVD. But aside from I, Alexander Nash, and myself being very repetitive that we like one specific movie much more than the others, I think this episode is going to have a free-for-all. That there's, I'm not going to, to sit and focus as much as cutting out background noise and every time we say, uh, this is what... A bit of a taste and uh, the experience of what you're going to be getting with some of what we have to offer on our Patreon. And I just thought it was way too much of a trick instead of a treat to say, hey, we have a new episode. We have a special guest. We're doing something we haven't done before. And you got to pay three dollars for it. That just seems kind of crappy, especially Halloween. And if you didn't like the new Halloween movie, maybe you have this as, as an offering of peace from the Death by DVD crew. Yep, so uh, the plan is we're going to each uh, provide our uh, rankings one by one, one after the other, and uh, when each film has been mentioned by the three of us, we'll stop and uh, talk it out. So that just leaves who goes first? Well, uh, obviously, our, our 
esteemed guest should go first. Oh, All yeah, right. that makes the most sense. I'm a terrible sure. host. That's why we have, it's not just me, it's like I have my English butler also. <laughs> All right. And did you want, since I'm going to also be speaking for Jose, for me to go, this is my number 13, his yep. 13, my 12, his 12? Yep. Yeah, but but Perfect. if you save Jose's reasons until uh, we have the discussion. So, okay. so, so tell us, Justin and Jose, which Halloween movie is the worst? So we both agreed, and I'm not surprised by this, at the bottom of our list at number 13 is Halloween Resurrection. <laughs> I'm curious if that's going to be a combined for everyone or if somebody else here has something else different at 13. Harry. It's Halloween Resurrection 2002. Oh, man. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> I don't want to be the odd one out, but I've got Halloween 5. Oh, I don't I don't disagree with you. I had a no. really hard time with with what I wanted to do with the Loomis series in general and then Halloween Resurrection and it came down to can I rewatch this and enjoy myself? And I tried to rewatch Resurrection and I got about 15 minutes in where I was like this is bullshit. No. <laughs> I can't I I have no interest in rewatching this. But part 5 yeah, I, I have no problem sitting down and watching it again. Beyond the violence, I like the goofy Cult of Thorn stuff. It doesn't work at all for me, but I like it, so I can rewatch it. And I, I, I couldn't put it as the last one. I was going to do a different one last, but it is part of the, the Thorn series. All right, well, 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 no spoilers. Let's move on. Um, Justin. All right. Num number 12 for me is Halloween 5, Revenge of Michael Myers. And that's one that I... The more I watch it lately, I think it's just coming down to it's just kind of there. Like, it's not awful. It looks all right, but it's just kind of there. And then Jose's number 12 was close, but it was Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. Um, I don't know if he really had a difference between. Now, he didn't give me any notes on why he thinks the if it was producers of theatrical, I think he just melded them into mm, one. That's understandable, Hank. Harry, what you got? Yeah, Hank's Hank's I'm dead, sorry. but his revival may happen sometime on the show. Hank, Hank resurrection to follow. Yeah, part six. That that is it's the curse of Hank is uh is, is will be the future problem. That is my next one is the curse of Michael Myers number six. So I'm with Jose. Yeah, so my number twelve is Halloween Resurrection. So so let's get into it. This was neck and neck with me uh with five like. Um, I had to weigh up, you know, boredom and drunk Don Donald presence screaming at a nine-year-old versus Buster Rhymes doing kung fu. And ultimately, I went with Buster and his kung fu. I don't hate the kung fu. I don't even hate Buster Rhymes' character. I, I really feel, though, if it had been like Method Man and you had the Wu-Tang Killer Bees or something behind that, it would have been a bit more believable. My biggest problem with this movie is if a scream queen that couldn't scream, that all of those screams are dubbed in later on, our final girl, it, it's just lackluster. And this is a really terrible era of horror movies from the late 90s into the, the 2000s. And Bob Weinstein was in charge of pretty much everything that was, was horror cult related at Miramax and Harvey was dealing with everything else. And it, it's just crap. It's a, it's a title claim to keep Michael Myers in the, the Miramax family. It's the same thing they did with Hellraiser sequels and it, nothing about it works. But I can't say nothing about it works because I actually like the, the whole, uh, fear factor sort of thing. I, I like the, the reality show 
but this is the the biggest drastic change to the Myers house that it goes from like a two story normal townhouse looking thing. Well, it's not a townhouse, but a house in a town to it's it's like a fourteen room gothic manor. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a huge giant basement, a dumbbell system, all the shit that just doesn't seem like small town. It's Illinois. like a house in a James Wan movie now. Yeah, yes. really. Who's paying for these? I mean, the rent on the house from from the the last big movie he did seemed insane for me. I can't even think of the name of the film at all. Oh, um, I can't talk about it because I'll give spoilers. Malignant. Yes. Malignant. There we go. Yeah. Who? What type of rent is that? That's got to be ridiculous. <laughs> the 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 flat that the the character the lead character had in Washington State. That's ridiculous. It, uh, yeah, especially location too is really gonna up that <laughs> that cost. Waterfront Seattle? Are you kidding but me? It's like the TARDIS. It's like huge inside, but like a regular house on the outside. <laughs> yeah, the inside, like the geography, does not make sense at all, or the architecture in that movie. The more you think about it, because <laughs> I mean, I've been in houses that seem small on the outside and pretty big on the inside, but this is like going into a clown car somehow and at this point it's been abandoned for like 40 years it looks fantastic the integrity of this house is great there's still sharpened knives and i know it's a point of the movie where they're i guess they're letting you know michael myers is still around but they find fresh spices so that's the hint that Michael might still be living in the house. He's been collecting coriander. You know, he, what, what, I like what the idea the that Michael's going to the grocery store and buying, like, spices. And... He cooks his dog with this now, because in every Halloween movie, at some point, Michael kills a dog, sometimes eats it, but they gave him spices and fresh cutlery in Halloween Resurrection. That's the hint. Well, when you get older, you got to change your diet up a little bit. You can't just have raw dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to add something <laughs> special. It's it's Halloween's coming up, so he was pumpkin spicing it. Or, I don't know. It's Who uh, even did Halloween Resurrection? Oh, Rick Rosenthal. Yes. Good yeah, God. which what? is surprising <laughs> that that's what he came back to. Because, I mean, regardless of what one feels about Halloween 2, like, this does not feel like it's directed by the same guy. Not at all. At he had all. to have, like, gambling debts or something. That he it's came the most for. director for hire direct job I've ever seen. And I mean, I'll agree with you too. I just think it's really boring. The only part that's kind of fun is Buster Rhymes. But I mean, I do agree Method Man probably would have been better, but it also just doesn't fit in this movie. Even if it's not a Halloween movie, like there's not enough, like it's not a horror comedy enough for to have this really weird out there Buster Rhymes character doing Kung Fu. So it just feels so awkward and then Tyra Banks I think is just also really miscast she feels shoehorned in and awkward and I like the fear like you said the fear factor idea of like this webcast thing but it's just there's barely anything done with it there's no tension Michael doesn't really look all that good for the most part they I don't know how this series has such a problem with that mask. It should not be as hard as it is, but there's just so many of these installments where the mask looks terrible. It's, it's just boring. And uh, also, I only think we talked about it and I'll segue into Jose's thoughts. Cause his first thing is how dare they, how dare they kill Laurie Strode in such a dumb fashion and then saddle us with a ridiculous big brother esque storyline that has Myers. Ah, oh, never mind. This is just skippable trash, <laughs> but yeah, like I get that. Lori or when Jamie Lee Curtis read the script she's just like just kill Lori off in the beginning but it could not have been done better it's the most lackadaisical way where he breaks into her like mental asylum room they fight onto the roof they're both kind of hanging on like to like a cord or like a rope and then he just she kisses the mask and he lightly stabs her I think she's taken more damage up to this point yet this did her in somehow 
I hate that they have to address who Michael Myers is with a special character that's fascinated with serial killers. And, and he, at the end of the scene, Michael hands this character, who's a, a, a patient in the mental hospital, the knife. And he's like, Michael Myers, 1963, killed his sister. Like, we don't fucking need to know that. It's The movie's called Halloween Resurrection. There's sort of a basis of we know what we're getting into here. And it seemed just so on the nose in your face that... No one cared. I don't think anyone cared about this production at all. No, and it's it's also not like it's a complicated matter. This somehow was your first Halloween movie. Michael Myers is evil. He goes around killing people. It's not a hard concept. We don't need over explanations i think it's just because they they got into this groove with some of these later sequels of having a character talk about the history of halloween and they're like well here's our creepy opening i guess what do you make of the retcon from h2o to this oh it's stupid i mean i guess there's if you had to like oh we're gonna do another one after we chopped his head off i guess it's the best way of doing it but i don't know it's just kind of dumb like that he orchestrated this whole thing where he put his mask on somebody else and put like, I guess tape or whatever. And it's just, why didn't he right after that then jump out of the vehicle and go after it's just, I don't know. It, it feels really forced. On one hand, I can appreciate the detail that it's like, no, Michael crushed their throat and put the mask mm-hmm. on, but it, it opens up. Why didn't he just leave? No one would have known what he looked like. He could have just walked away at this point. So as it, caresses the story a little bit at the same time it just opens up a new plot hole of none of this makes sense and there's no reason at this point he's like 58 years old why what what is the point of this and i don't know it i find overall the watchability is is none for me and that that was my biggest problem of why it became my 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 13th ranking of i i just don't want to watch it again the mm-hmm. only thing that's really funny about the movie is the two kids that are dressed as jules winfield and vincent vega like that's funny <laughs> that's fine like that's okay i love but it's that also almost 10 years too late <laughs> yeah that's even the funnier thing like this is early 2000s and they didn't use blackface kudos like that's a great for its time period somebody thought that that through all the way that's about it like that's kind of funny that's it's enjoyable if you're really baked, like eat some edibles with your friends and you're running this marathon. This is the one to throw when you have a bunch of people talking through a movie and they're not going to pay attention to it at all. I tell you what, throw this. I tell you what is not enjoyable is when you have to watch 13 of these fucking movies. (laughs) (laughs) This is the, your end of the line reward. Yeah. Their quality is varying as much as I really love this franchise. It's, it's all over the place. All right, so for number 11, I have Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. It seems like I'm just one above certain people. Uh, and I would include both producers and theatrical one there because they might feel radically different, but they're still kind of the same. And for Jose, his number 11 was Halloween 5, so we were just switched on those two. Me and Jose are, are tying together again. It's Halloween 5, The Return of Michael Myers. Okay, so uh, Halloween 5, should we get into it? Yeah, I'm down for that. <laughs> uh, well, I think I think Justin like summed it up. It's just kind of there. I mean, mm-hmm. it, this film is aggressively dull. It's it's a placeholder movie. They just needed another film out. They didn't know what they were doing, and uh, they just spaffed out this this nonsense. It, I mean, the the killing of Rachel scene has a bit of suspense to it, but the rest of it is just 
it's just there. I mean, there's some comedy value in uh, Donald Pleasant screaming at a nine-year-old, but uh, you know, <laughs> also some weird bumbling Keystone cops yeah. that just I don't know. Like you even have the wacky sound effects that just feel like it came from a different movie. <laughs> This is the drunkest of Donald Pleasant's performances. He's <laughs> visibly assaulting this child. He's loaded onto something or another. My my big problem with it is killing off the Rachel character, that we finally have someone sympathetic. We have someone replicant of Laurie Strode, uh, a, a final girl, I guess you could say. But she has had so much development from the first movie and has learned so much and has become a different person. And then we waste her halfway through, and it's her shitheel friends that suddenly, like... One of them returns from the previous movie, but it's like, what the hell? I don't care about your friends. This is exactly. this is the worst connection for heroes all of a sudden. And they're not they they immediately love Danielle Harris. They're like little fake sisters for her and they're visiting her in the hospital. Who are these people? <laughs> the hospital wouldn't just let random teenagers come visit this deeply traumatized child. And but that's what I, I with watchability comes back to me on this one is I like I want so much Daniel Harris's character to keep moving. I love the development. I love what happens with her. If anything, when when you move into the 90s and the, the late 80s with the Halloween series, she's what carries it for me. I will always go back to the Loomis trilogy because she, Daniel Harris, acts her little heart mm -hmm. out. She's just fucking amazing. Yeah, and I'll at least give credit to the only spot that does have really good suspense for me is when Michael is like chasing her through the air, uh, like the duct area. That one actually, that's probably the one spot in the film. And I, I put a lot on her because she really goes for it, that it is kind of traumatizing. But it's a fine looking movie. The last time I watched it, I was like, all right, there's some good uses of shadows in here. But it's just so dull for the most part. And it's very obvious to me <laughs> that they had no idea what to do. Like the, the ending that has like in big explosions in that in the jail, it's, it feels so tacked on the opening doesn't make any sense because Michael gets saved by some random, like homeless dude. And then he's just fine the next year. And it turns out it's supposed to be mysticism, which would make sense for the thorn trilogy, but they discarded it, but then still threw it in. So it's just, it's such a mess and Jose is pretty much with us. I mean, he wrote part five opens with a bizarre development for Daniel Harris's young character and then diverts with following idiot characters, the death of a survivor from the last film and a weirdo ending that sets up the following film. And it's also weird because four ends with the belief that would, that Jamie is going to be evil, but then they have to backtrack because they're like, well, <laughs> nobody wants to see a child killer was I think Mustafa Akkad's reasoning which then why did you let them do the ending to four to begin with and it's just everything just feels kind of half-assed yeah i mean i want to see a child killer <laughs> like, yeah, like i was i think it would have been really I, interesting it would have made more sense yeah. why you've got donald pleasant screaming at this child no 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 <laughs> It seems more or less like she was under contract or, or they had to do something with what they had because and, and later on throughout throughout every single iteration of Halloween, this ends up happening that the sequels largely seem like sequels to other movies and not what they were directed to be. So they've almost refreshed the entire idea of the last movie and we have to be sympathetic with Daniel Harris and that's fine. Like Jamie as a character next to Rachel are probably the most two 
until Jamie Lee Curtis returns in H2O of somebody that you can cling to and have some representation with. But it, it largely ignores the fact that they I think they bring up once or twice, your stepmother just doesn't want to come visit you, so she's not dead. They've they've kind of retconned the fact that she stabbed her to death at the end of the last movie, which it, it it's fine. It just doesn't leave me. It, it's not satisfying. It feels like I'm watching a, a more of a soap opera sort of thing that happens to be very very violent. Yeah, it's it's like a slasher TV movie, but uh, yeah, <laughs> but with Donald Pleasant screaming at a nine year old. <laughs> I will say I would watch more soap operas if Donald Pleasance was there just yelling at children in each episode. That's probably why he did the movie, that it was part of the script of like, fine, I get to yell at a child. Uh, you're paying me in bags of brandy, right? I mean, like, fair, fair play to Pleasance. He still brings it, like, but, uh, you know, mm -hmm. he, he hasn't got much to work with. Um, like, Harry, you said it's maybe his drunkest performance, but but have you seen American Rickshaw? No, I don't think I have. Now I have to. I can't, I, I can't be the, the defender of which is the drunkest Donald Pleasant's performance if I haven't. Yeah. I also have not, but I almost did watch it over the summer. So now I think I need to go back and watch it since uh, serendipity of you bringing it up. It's quite something. But uh, anyway, shall, shall we move on? Yeah. Okay. And my number 11 is Halloween 6. Interesting. I think that means all of us, I think, have touched upon six now. I used to, well, I, I thought this would be a, up a few places because uh, when I last saw it, I was like, oh, this isn't too bad. And, the, you know, it, it has a bit of a slight Halloween 3 vibe to it with the cult stuff and, you know. Uh, and I back then when I'd heard it, sucked so much and i watched it for the first time i thought hey, you know it's it's doing something slightly different but this time on the rewatch my only note i made was runes can fuck off <laughs> yeah i i always somewhat had a soft spot because this was like the first one i can kind of remember being promoted uh because i was a kid when this one came out probably mm, a little bit of 95 96 mm -hmm. so a couple of years old maybe five six or so um but yeah, it's it's really weird now because I'm lumping this both theatrical and producers cut in because the producers does a better job of moving at a much smoother pace. You get more Loomis, which is great. Uh, Paul Rudd's dialed in, which I guess works for that. But I, I do actually like his more comical performance in the theatrical cut just because I love that kind of a Paul Rudd. But it also like I feel like the ending for the producers cut just ends up feeling flat with like the transferring of evil and it still doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I don't know. And then with the theatrical cut, there's parts of it. I do like outside of just Paul Rudd. Um, I like the really, cause they decided to up the body count and, or like the kills. So like the, the guy exploding in the basement, which makes no sense, but it's awesome. That is actually really fun. But what drags down the theatrical for me is I hate the editing. It's very yep. mid nineties grunge and I know it's because I think they said uh, they studio tested this with a bunch of 14 year olds who didn't like the, the thorn stuff. So they still had to have it in theatrical cut, but they also tried to cut some of it out. So it also doesn't always come together. And it's just that editing just grinds on me so much. It's just, ugh, gimmish. yeah, it's it, they Michael can't just stab. He has to go stop, 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 stop. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to jump, done, 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 done. And you, the cuts got to go like 10 cuts in two seconds and like really weird 
uh, metal noises yeah. that you would see off of like a metal soundtrack. Uh, it's just, ugh. I think it was really trying to push people like grunge. Kids are wearing flannel t-shirts mm -hmm. these days. They really love effects on the guitar. Well, yeah, but, but hang on though. When did this come out? Like 96, like grunge was dead by then, surely. Yeah, it's, I mean, I always think of that and I, that's my defense too, which maybe that makes sense because this was one that was like in development hell for mm. so long. So <laughs> probably at one point when this script and they were ready to go was probably 92, 93, and then it kept getting pushed off. But well, you got to look at the taste of the old white guys that are producing this that are always three or four years off of things. Grunge mm -hmm. was very popular to producers five years after it was dead. Mm -hmm. So these guys are looking at the past. Kids still like grunge, right? What's the new thing? Mm -hmm. We don't know what it is. And the movie's set in a time period that just seems lost by the point even watching it now. It seems it just seems like a bunch of old people were making. This is what kids are like. This is what mm -hmm. they're going to be into and what they're going to be interested in. And despite Donald Pleasance and, and this being his final overall performance, the man actually hated the series in general and, and I guess appreciated the work. But I always find it painful rewatching this to just kind of see him at the end of the line mm -hmm. and this is the end of Donald Pleasance. This is the last yeah. we'll ever have of him and what a, a, a terrible way to end. The producer's cut ending confuses me equally as... The, the theatrical release Paul Rudd is the saving grace for me I, I will go to turn this movie off and then he will start that monologue and I will go oh shit Paul Rudd I, I'm gonna this is the one with Paul Rudd okay and I, I what what it's weird is what's more believable to everyone is Buster Rhymes doing Kung Fu eh but Paul Rudd beating the shit out of Michael Myers, all of us are fine with that. Everyone, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, yeah, I, would I think he did it yeah. with a lead pipe, didn't he? <laughs> he really seems like if anyone's going to kill Michael Myers, it's Paul Rudd. I would never doubt it, but nothing against Buster Rhymes. He, it's, a, it's nothing against his performance. It's just having him do karate against the character. <laughs> That's what does it. Paul Rudd at least is bludgeoning the guy. He's doing something that might be effective. Now that I think about it, Rizzo would have made more sense because he's really into Kung yeah. Fu anyway for to been in that movie and been doing the Kung Fu. Any other Wu-Tang affiliate but Buster Rhymes, really, yeah. that he's he's kind of the oddball out. And it, it that era was just clean. I mean, and, and what we're talking about, too, is kind of a dated era. But with Resurrection, it was just trying to get people from pop culture into movies to get people interested in it again when that internet boom started happening. And at this point, uh, with, with Halloween 6, I think the failure is they were making a movie for a generation that had quickly moved on. That I mean, it wasn't just Kurt Cobain's death and, and the, the grunge success dropping from the pop charts, but it just died. Like People didn't wear flannel after that. They got more into punk and Doc Martin and pop punk and all sorts of different fads popped out in the late 90s. Yeah. This is just so dated. It's bizarre. Even now in 2022, it's like, who the fuck were they making this it, for? This, this, should, <laughs> this should have been the Britpop Halloween movie. A shoegaze something you could have gone with a blur. No, shoegaze was earlier. Maybe. That that could have almost been Halloween Five. So I guess he really had to do the blur versus Oasis thing at this point. Yeah, something like that. Oh boy. Yeah, and Jose didn't have too much on this. <laughs> he just said the reintroduction of mysticism and a potential cult just falls flat. And National Enquirer, I gave birth to a werewolf baby that is better left forgotten and flushed. How come he never has a tattoo for the other movies? Like the one of the first shots of this one is showing Michael's tattoo or, or what the cult of thorn symbol. And it's like, why make that such a focal point in the movie when you know he's never had that before? It's and never it's in a spot appeared. that should be noticeable 
even if he's wearing like those long sleeve shirts because they get cut in that. It's not like it's, oh, it's on his ash cheek or something. <laughs> and that might have worked if there had been some sort of scene where you find a birthmark or something that attaches to Jamie, but not visible, like how they did in the uh, the Omen, that it's behind Damien's hairline. You had to really look for it. But nope, bam. Same place when Laurie stabs him in the first movie that you see him reach and grab and pull the, the knitting needle out. There's no tattoo there. And I mean, that's petty. I'm, I'm bitching about retconning stuff, but still. But you know what? When you have a film that is very uninspired and we find mostly boring, I tend to do that. Like, I won't do that on a movie I enjoy, but if I am not liking a movie, I start nitpicking because that's how I stay and uh, keep my attention, basically. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to find some sort of connective tissue and when there's nothing for you, it's like, well, fuck it. He didn't have that beforehand. I'm tired of this. How can he drive all of these different vehicles? I think this is the one where he suddenly can drive like a a, um, a tow truck, like a multiple gear, huge tow truck. Where is he learning how to do this? Yeah. This is a lot I think of skill if you just talent. become possessed by evil, it just knows how to drive. <laughs> because even if somebody took him for lessons, like you're saying, like, for a car yeah i can't drive that kind of a truck though um, all these different gears and systems he he the truck was up on a lift and suddenly he shoots right outside of this build like what is he doing he's got really great skill i mean somebody uh, should have been focusing on talents other than evil while he was this, this <laughs> there needs sorry go ahead. oh no i was just gonna say there needs to be another addition where he just like flies a jet <laughs> or a plate or something because he knows how to operate it <laughs> <laughs> Each time a different vehicle riding lawnmower, one of those um, <laughs> like like those scooters that you can just stand on, all sorts of stuff. It probably maybe there's a cut scene somewhere of Loomis going like, uh, "The Smiths Groves driver's head program was a mistake." No, <laughs> no. They can steal from the new Hocus Pocus, and he rides a Roomba. Ah. <laughs> uh. All right, so I think I am up to, yes, spot number 10 now. And this is where I find the first Rob Zombie incarnation at Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, which without going into it, I will say if we did this a couple of years ago, it would have been a little bit lower. So I've at least softened a bit on it. And for Jose, his number 10 is Halloween Ends. Mine is Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Okay, and... Uh... Mine is the first. Oh, hang on. What are we on? I've lost the plot now already. No, number, number 10. 10. Um, yeah, mine is the first Rob Zombie. Okay. For a second there, you said just the first. I'm like, Carpenters? <laughs> <Yeah>. Really? <laughs> I was like, whoa, yeah. we're dropping bombshells. I'm curious now. <laughs> Wow, yeah, that, that was going to get interesting for a Sorry, second. Sorry, uh, yeah, I just, I, I forgot to fill in the spreadsheet until we were like a few down. Was, oh, shit. <laughs> Interesting. So Zombie pops up at uh, two lists here, but different versions of his Halloween yes. movies. Do we want to just keep going more? Yeah, more? keep going until we until we catch them all, like Pokemon. Sure. 
So my number nine, and this is one that, especially after our discussion, watch Kit Plus, I still almost put a little bit higher, but I am going to keep it here. Halloween ends, but I definitely see that moving up a little bit more over time. And Jose's number nine is Halloween Kills. So sticking with David Gordon Green. We may get a little controversial here. Mine is 1981's Halloween 2. Interesting. That's I'm seeing that coming more and more prevalent that people are not liking it as much on revisits. I have my reasons, thankfully. It's not just blind. I don't like this movie, but when we get to this one, uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't think it's that uncommon of a complaint, but we'll see. And my number nine is uh, Halloween 2018 from David Gordon Green. And eight is where I find still at the beginning, I guess, of the Thorn Cult, even though this had nothing to do with Thorn. Uh, Halloween four, the return of Michael Myers is my number eight. And Jose's number eight is Rob Zombie's Halloween two. Okay. Harry? I had to recount my list. I was making sure I didn't screw up now. That was my problem. My number eight comes in with Rob Zombie's Halloween 2007. Okay. Uh, my number eight. Um, uh, my number eight is Halloween Kills. So, and then I think we'll go to my number seven then, because that is where I have Halloween Kills at. And then Jose's is surprisingly the original Halloween 2 from 1981. So not too far off from you, Harry. And mine is Halloween H2O, 20 years later, 1998. Oh, first mention of that one. I threw it, threw it down now. It's getting weird. <laughs> and my number seven is Rob Zombie's uh, Halloween 2. All right. So my number six is where I get the other Rob Zombie movie, and that is his 2007 Halloween remake. And then for Jose, his number six is Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. And mine is Halloween 2, 2009, Rob Zombie. Okay. My number six is Halloween Ends. Okay, interesting. I think we all mentioned Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 now at this point. Yes, yes, we have. All right, yep. okay. Give us, give us your thoughts, Justin. So this one used to be much lower for me. It was between this and I think Resurrections, my worst. But it was also because I... As much as I like Rob Zombie, I just thought it was too aggressive, but I've softened on it because at least it makes me feel something, and he swung for the fences. I might not like the White Horse stuff at all. I didn't actually hate it as much on this recent rewatch. I was like, ah, you know, I could see what he's going for. Uh, I just think it's the most aggressive of a Rob Zombie movie. Every character's dropping the same fuck, which I'm no prude. I say it all the time, too, but it almost just feels too excessive. The violence is actually really good, but it's the pacing isn't always the greatest, like going between that and some of the weirder imagery and psychological stuff. And it still doesn't, I know that it, it seems like, oh, they just gave him all this money. You go make your movie. But it also feels like he wanted to do Laurie as being like the killer earlier on, not like almost being the twist at the end or like that's how you find out. And it feels like they kind of, backtracked on that a little bit and even the ending is a little bit more open-ended kind of making me think of four so 
there are elements I love about this. Uh, I think Daniel Harris, just as she's great as a child actress, is also great in this as Lori's friend. And I love Brad Dourif as the dad. But even moments where you get like the pained performance of him seeing his daughter died, you get this aggressive editing where it keeps showing like flashbacks to like when they were, when she was a kid, like with photos. And I'm just like, it took me out of it. I'm like, just let the performances that are good here work. And I also felt like, unfortunately, I get what they were going with Malcolm McDowell. It's Loomis here, but him just being like this asshole who's taken advantage of the this situation to write a book and that. And then his like about face saving just felt so forced. Yeah. Like it just felt like we needed that to kind of come back around. So And like he sees that stuff on TV and then he's there in a shot. It's like where was he at the time? Like does he li- does he live mm-hmm. down the road from a potential crime scene? Well, it's like the photographs that are shown too. When have these photos of Angel what have they been taken? Where where are they being taken from that they're being used without her written expression in this published book? Like you can't just publish photos of people without them knowing mm-hmm. about it. That's not legal. So exactly. there's, I mean, there's a lot of, of sloppy mix in this movie, but I actually really like it. And I, I never formally did. I'm very vocal and have been for years on Death by DVD, whether it be the current incarnation or the live one about Rob Zombie's work. I've never enjoyed the man's work. I, I, I like White Zombie. I like a couple Rob Zombie songs, but I've always been hyper judgmental on him. And in the last few years, I've learned to, to calm the fuck down and to actually watch and appreciate his work. And it's it's funny that I feel I like a lot more of his oddball or not accepted films. Like, I think uh, House of a Thousand Corpses is his best movie. I love that. I'm not a it's big fan. It's my second favorite of his, actually, I, behind I, Devils. Most people love that's Devil's Rejects is a big one. I don't care for it as much. I don't have a lot. I, I love almost the comic book value and how batshit insane the characters are in the Devil's Rejects. And when you turn them into... Charles Manson pretty much in the next movie I lost a lot of interest but I love um, Lords of Salem I thought that was fantastic Haunted World of El Super Bisto his, his, his off color movies I enjoyed a lot more and this one I think falls in line with it because he has the original movie and he creates his own mythos and I don't, I don't particularly care for his mythos and I don't particularly care for the, the white horse stuff at all but in the sense of this movie and, and almost making it a self contained film this Michael Myers really, to me, shines on the absolute fear that John Carpenter and Deborah Hill had focused upon in the first movie. This just chaotic character that it doesn't matter why they are killing. And one of my least favorite things, and I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point when it comes to Halloween, is Michael being related to Laurie. And although that is very important in this movie, Michael is absolutely vicious, and I cannot comfortably watch this film. I cringe it it hurts to watch it, and I appreciate that deeply, though. I mean, that's like watching um, Salo, I, which is a terrible reference because that's it's a very politically driven movie. But even something like Ken Russell's The Devils, there, no matter what version of that movie you watch, there is some really uncomfortable, questionable stuff that makes you think. And Halloween 2 by Rob Zombie, especially when it comes to the demise of Daniel Harris's character. Spoilers, I'm sorry, people. Uh, I, I hate having to yell spoilers on something like this, but the second I don't, someone will be mad at me over it. When when we, after her survival from the first movie, and then you move into this one, God, it hurts. It's, it's so, it's disgusting, but not in 
a faces of death. Uh, it's not inv- it's not invocative of violence for the sake of violence. I think it really had a place in the movie. And and Rob Zombie was smooth behind the camera. A lot of the visuals in the movie are baffling and insane. And I wish we could have seen them more. That there's these weird dream sequences with Lori where she's on this table with these crazy pumpkin yeah. people, and it just. He went into such a bizarre new environment, I can't help but appreciate it, because the series, uh, chronologically up to this point, had gotten so sterile, and some of the movies we had discussed beforehand were just placeholders to keep the series going alive, and he really went all out with with a, a whole new mythos to Michael Myers, a whole new reasoning before stuff, and then made such a graphic movie that the likes of haven't been seen in years. I mean, this is up on par with something like My Bloody Valentine, the original film. It is violent. It is, no one is safe. No one can be trusted. The characters can just drop left and right. And then we have such an unreliable narrator with Laurie Strode, who in some cuts of the movie is struggling through addiction and and other versions of the movie. She's just very traumatized, but regardless her connection to Michael Myers and with all that white horse stuff, it seems really ridiculous, but that last shot of the movie, well, it's not the last, but last four or five minutes of the movie where, where Dr. Loomis is screaming at her, no one's there. And you finally realize that it's her own, mentality keeping her locked down and that's a poor use of words it's not her mentality but it's the state she's in that's keeping her locked down no one was there the whole time it clicks for me that oh the white horse was used to as as a unrelated or not unrelated untrustable narrator that you have this whole plot running throughout the movie and you realize right at the end depending on which version of this you watch that it was never there the whole time and it just clicked with me and I, I really have an appreciation almost for like a stage play level. I think this is a very operatic movie and it would work beautifully to be presented on the stage. And of course with editing and and production and how this film was released to people, it's also very understandable why traditional fans of the Halloween series hate this. I get it. I completely get it. But over the last almost 20 years that this movie has existed, I, I have been able to look at it a lot more that this, the first one came out when I was a senior in high school so the second movie was it was a couple years later. I was nowhere near on my, my watch list of where I am now. I don't think I ever had a care for the movie previously just because, you know, I don't like Rob Zombie, fuck that guy. And that's where I left it. I never really evaluated the movie. And years later, being able to do so, I, I have a lot of appreciation for it. Yeah, uh, my appreciation for Rob Zombie has grown a lot over the years. Um, almost a little bit like... Um, when I was uh, a teenager watching Fulci movies for the first time, uh, I saw uh, a lot of his movies I've watched the first time and thought, uh, uh, it's a bunch of like try hard nonsense, but, uh, but he's, yeah, he's, he's won me over with repeat viewings. And, uh, this, this one is sort of bounced up and down my list a bit because, uh, I like it a lot more than his, uh, original remake. And, uh, I like all the, firewalk with me for dummies white horse stuff um i think it looks great um it's certainly the best halloween movie featuring weird al yankovic um (laughs) yeah but um but at the end of the day i rewatched it yesterday and it gave me a migraine it's it it's just pretty full-on so I'm, i'm trying to sort of rank these in order of how much I enjoy them, and I don't enjoy migraines. 
Well, Justin had brought up Brad Dourif, and that's one thing that I think is a crowning achievement of this movie is Brad Dourif's performance. Mm. And there, there's one certain scene where it's just a shining example of his yeah. his reach as a as a as an actor. That it is it is painful, and it's so simple. He's just sitting on the porch, and they say, yes. "Well, we're gonna head out there. What do you think about this?" And he just he doesn't even really say anything. It's just Brad's body language. It really looks like somebody went out there and killed his child right in front yep. of him. He is he is selling every single fiber in his body. Daniel Harris also. Yeah. That I mean, that's one thing I, I really implore people that don't like this movie to look at. The performances, and Scout Taylor Compton, to not yep. uh, ignore or leave her out, that's one of the greatest things, too. Her transition from the first movie to this one are two completely different characters. Just a, a brilliant, full-bodied performance. And that credit really has to be given to Rob Zombie as a director yep. for being able to get these performances out of all of these artists and this talent. It, it, that itself is a big, I mean, and I, this, I guess is a little high on the list six. Most people I think would have this really rocked down low. And for me, I have that, it's not anything special. It's just taken years. And, and I think a lot of it too, is if you can place yourself into characters and I can much more relate to Lori in this movie than I can other Lori's. Her experience and what she's going through and who the character is and the trauma that she's presented in these movies, I can connect with. But sometimes some of the other characters, especially like Jamie, there's a hard, hard time for me to relate. I don't really connect with her very much. And that's not a fault of, of anyone. You know, you can't blame the filmmaker for not for not being able to connect to a character. You can sometimes, but not I wouldn't say in, in, the, in what we're talking about. Yeah, and even though uh, Jose does have this at eight, this is kind of where he starts to like the franchise, or because his review is pretty complimentary. He says more of the same, only with fun imagery of white horses and a suit-eyed Sherry Moon zombie mugging for the camera. Just as harrowing and stressful as Zombie's first entry, this one pops with great performances from Compton an amazing and caustic toned Daniel Harris, who suffers one of the toughest ends for any character to five, two films in this franchise and Brad Dourif despised, but deserves a second look. So he's, he's pretty complimentary of this one. And he mentioned Dourif, but I wanted to call back. You are spot on with Dourif. Cause I think a lot of times people will look at like his immediate reaction, which is also very painful, but it's when he's on the porch that it really hits me. Cause it's just that, and you've seen it when some pi- people are going through grief, it's just this loss. Like he's just existing now. Cause he doesn't know how to contemplate this. He's just and dead inside. He's just is. It's, and it's his body language is great. When he responds, he's just, it's like, he's on autopilot and it's just such a depressing and in a good way like it's intentional but like it it just it's a gut punch it it connects so much and i think gets overlooked you also in the accompanying scene when loomis as as linus brought up just randomly appears he holds him down and says i want to kill you i want to shoot you that he has centralized his anger which shows up again rather relevantly and when we get to this movie I'll, I'll, I'll hope to remember to talk about this but in Halloween ends with how so much anger is placed on Laurie Strode's character I, I feel that it's representative of everything from the Halloween movies and we touched upon this on Watch Skip Plus the other night but it, it really shows up here and I think it's almost where it's taken from in, in the new Halloween movies this guilt and this anger that's put on other people and it comes right from Loomis or right from Sheriff Brackett ready to shoot Loomis in the face that law was was gone at this point it's just dealing with this trauma yeah um 
uh, Malcolm McDowell is, is pretty great in both of these movies. Although uh, I, I found it a bit odd at one point that he, uh, he he sort of haughtily requested that somebody bring in some PG tips, which is... Piping hot. It, yeah, yeah. Which uh, PG tips is a pretty standard brand of tea over here. Um, so I don't know. Maybe in America it's different, but uh, I don't... You've got to go to like a world market or special order PG tips. Um, you just—it's going to be called English breakfast tea. Yeah, yeah. All over the place. I, I don't—I can't imagine anyone specifying uh, PG tips, but I don't drink tea, so. And does he want extra strong? Does he want gold? Like, if you really were going to specify it, there are three different types of PG tips. Like, we needed. It, <laughs> we needed yeah, it, it doesn't seem like a fancy pants enough tea, but maybe that's the kind of guy he is. I don't know. You know, just just full, full of shit. I, I, guess. I can say. <laughs> For somebody who worked 10 years in grocery, we never once had PG tips, nor did anybody ever ask for it in my neck of the woods. <laughs> and it's funny because it's very common tea in England, and I think it might have just been like Rob Zombie's go-to of like, I've been to England, they drink PG tips there. And I've seen Also, that. Malcolm McDowell, you're from England. Why don't you <laughs> reference the tea you normally drink? I, I, it doesn't seem like the type of movie where the actor is going to sit down and go, I think my character would actually... Be drinking this stuff. But it, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't even think Malcolm McDowell probably read the scripts for these movies. And that's not a knock toward Rob Zombie. But I, I, I really find it funny, especially with with Halloween ends coming out. How many people are going back and saying, well, Halloween two is the worst in the entire series. And man, there is so much more worse, though. I mean, <laughs> you cannot give Resurrection that much credit. I think it comes down to because for me, if I hated something, I used to call it the worst. But now I've like reevaluate and I'm like films like five and Resurrection. They're just there for me. And to me, that's the yep. worst thing you can totally. do is you just bore me or be pretty much non-existent. So I'm having that like for a lot of just what I used to consider worst movies of all time, reevaluating. I mean, I never liked Freddy Got Fingered because I don't like Tom Green's humor for the most part, but I always remember that movie. And I also do the Daddy, Would You Like Some Sausage? So he did something right. Like he elicited a response, which is better than I can go in my letterbox from five years ago. And there might be movies I gave like two stars to, and I probably don't remember watching them. I just don't feel any emotion for a lot of the characters in something like Resurrection. I don't care mm -hmm. if they live or if they die. So it gets, for me, that's damaging that I don't want to just watch people die. I don't get off on these murders. I want to have some sort of sympathy for the people yeah. and feel something. So when you're just lining up people to die, and especially Resurrection as a whipping boy, so many of the characters are just like, here's Trendy Douchebag with a flipped collar guy. He really is into getting <laughs> laid. They're all just weird, like that dating show. I can't remember what it was called but it was really popular in the late 90s where you'd have blind date oh, i think is what it was yeah. called yeah yeah and it was it was just two you know random people and you look back and it was completely dated to when everyone kind of looked like they were a member of nsync frosted tips were really good those those flaming guy fieri shirts everyone wore those everyone had a chain wallet very dark ugly era of american history between like <laughs> yeah, I, i'm always surprised when i go back to that era and see so many frosted tips i'm like man why did we think this was ever a good idea and that's that's halloween resurrection a movie like why did we think this was good wow <laughs> that's the it's, yeah, it, it's it's quite something um there, there's not that much uh time between h2o and uh resurrection but there's a world of difference between those two films <laughs> A lot of it, I think, is down to production at that point of, of after H2O, they knew they weren't going to get 
there's no there's nothing special about having Jamie Lee Curtis back now. So it doesn't matter what we do, we can get we can get away with doing anything. Yeah, but I I, and you I, I, I just mean <laughs> in the terms of uh, you know like frosted tips and uh, early two thousands douchebaggery. Yeah. I mean, from the time period that hackers came out to Halloween yeah. two, the world was really really weird. Oh. <laughs> but um yeah just wrapping up on uh, uh zombies halloween 2 um this is the only movie where uh, michael wears clothes other than his usual uh overalls so you also see his face for a good majority do, of the yeah. movie i don't think he has a mask for the first 20 minutes and or there's so. no halloween theme uh played until the credits Oh wow! I didn't know. I, I I thought it appeared at the end, but I didn't know it didn't go through the whole. Uh, did, does any of the Alan Howarth nope. or um like, wow, yeah. was that a honestly? That's thing? almost impressive because I feel like some of the sequels they almost overdo like just the beats from like Howarth Carpenter's mm-hmm. scores, and it's like all right, calm down a little bit, get your own thing. We know what movie this is. It's on the name. <laughs> we <laughs> we paid for this. All right then, uh, we are down to five. Uh, what, what are we yes. got? All right. My number five is Halloween H2O 20 years later. Still disappointed it's not Halloween on a submarine, but what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> and Jose's is Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. Oh, for shame. <laughs> for shame, Jose. We thought you were cool. <laughs> he does. I will give him credit. He's complimentary to the film, but I was surprised to see it down at five. Mine is the much controversial Halloween ends. Okay. Well, um, that would get all the scores on the doors for Halloween ends, but do we need to talk about it again? We've, we've covered it on Watch Skip Plus. Yeah, I think, I think we can just kind of state that to reiterate our thoughts a little bit. Jose and I both kind of came down on the soft skip. Uh, we, I him a little bit more than me, just some of the heavy handed melodrama with the new character really kind of saps some of the psychology they're going for. But especially after our conversation, I almost put it a little bit higher up on my list because I love a lot of what it's going for psychologically. And like I said, with Rob Zombie's Halloween too, it's swinging for the fences. So even if it doesn't hit for me, it's better than being boring. It's taking a lot of chances and I feel it's going to be reevaluated in a couple of years. Yep. Yep. So, so my number five is H2O. Oh, so you and I are both in the same spot. Nice. So wait, does that find that's H2O three times. So do we have to talk about it? Jose is not again. I think Jose has not popped up yet. Nope. Jose is not. Okay. So we're down to number four. Yes. So my number four, is Halloween 2 from 1981. And Jose's number four is Halloween H2O. So after you guys say what your four is, I think we can backtrack to yep. H2O. Before we get to this one, I want to briefly say something again about ends because I ended up watching it an additional time last night. And I, I truly have to say upon further and further evaluation, what I'm left with is is an utter remake of Christine. And some of it is so calculated, I, I can't get the thought out of my head. The fact that both characters are named Cunningham and that heavy spoilers are what I'm going to say next. The dismal ending of Michael Myers and Christine are exactly one of the same down to the locations. If they had 
I wanted initially that they should have used more 1950s music, but it would have been way too on the nose. But what those two movies have in common absolutely is the trauma and the trauma that the other people are, are felt with in Christine, you don't really deal with. And I think that is what is very present in Halloween Ends, is these other people dealing with the trauma of what was happening with Arnie in this car. I mean, it must have been psychotic to watch your best friend become addicted to a car, become in love with, with this inanimate object. And you take away the focus of the inanimate object and you look at something like being treated so terribly even you might have done something wrong but was it you didn't you didn't kill a kid it's not like Corey was oddest tool or henry lee lucas he didn't kill john walsh's kid and cut their head off it was an utter accident it was a terrible terrible situation but you were taught in your condition for so long to believe something what other option do you have and the the further and the more i focus on it i really i i this is a strong term but i kind of love this movie I wanted to rank this higher, but there, the other films that we, we still have yet to deal with, I, I, I had to look at equally. But I really do implore people, we'll do a heavy cut to a Watch Skip Plus commercial and, and promo because you need to listen to that episode to really hear our statements on it. But I say it on that show and I'll say it on this one, I really implore you to see the movie. And if you hated it, watch it again. <laughs> do it one more time. Yeah, it took me a couple of goes to uh, formulate my thoughts on it. Yeah, I'm on my third now, but I, I I also forgot I have a Halloween movie I have to, to give my rating for. <laughs> or not rating. We're moving in. My last one was Halloween Ends. I'm on Halloween. Number four now. Is yeah, well, on the list. Whoa, 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 whoa hang on. We'd, we'd all crossed off H2O, so. Uh... Yeah, so what we want to. Yeah, we no, we wanted to have you guys say your four oh, first, okay. just so we don't get all lost. Right. And then we'll go yeah, back to okay. I thought I thought I was on to something. Right. Uh, my four is Halloween four. Oh, interesting. Much higher than I was expecting. Well, we've moved around quite a bit on this list. So now we have yeah. the the H two O open debate. Yeah, yes. and then and then then we can jump to Halloween four straight after. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, Justin. Ah, uh, yes. So Halloween H two O is one that's been bouncing around my list for years. Um, it's comfortably at five now i really liked it when i started going through the franchise for the first time just because it got it back to basics uh what's very nice about the first one is it is so simplistic and that makes it so terrifying and this one while still reeking of the 90s uh, it's not as bad as i think curse and definitely not as bad as resurrection uh in that regard the one thing that it it's always kind of thrown me and it's a compliment, but it's also a criticism is it almost feels like it moves too fast. Cause it's a quick 89 minutes. And there's always a spot between like when Michael arrives and then like kind of the finale that always feel like it's not like they're in a rush to get there, but it's like, Oh, we're already here. But the, the last time I watched it, I looked at it again and I'm like, I don't think it's a really feels like a rush. I just think it's a testament to how well they paced this that you get the good the family drama after the fun opening where he returns to Haddonfield. I like the relationship between Jamie Lee Curtis and Josh Hartnett. I think those two had really good chemistry. Um, I know a lot has been made about like, Ooh, how, which version of Lori handled this better? The one from H2O or from Daniel, uh, David Gordon Green's trilogy. I like the fact that they're radically different when doing this. And this is somebody who on the surface seems like she was able to, 
kind of get her life on track, but is still dealing with this trauma through medication and repression and not being able to deal with it. And then when Michael comes back, that almost ends up being the jolt that she needed. I like the characters uh, to your point, Harry with resurrection. I can't even name a single character to be honest with you here. I like them all. LL Cool J feels better inserted into this than Buster Rhymes probably did uh, in resurrection. And I just think it's, it's a very smooth back to basics uh, Halloween installment, even if the mask does look terrible in certain shots. The mask like. looks all over the place. It's it's several different masks, and it they're very inconsistent. Yeah, it's it's honestly, I think the, I mean, well, not the first time because I think four and five have really bad masks. But at least for the most part, they were consistently terrible throughout. This one, it's just like you could tell they had like twelve different masks on, on here on set, and just didn't really polish them enough. Isn't there a shot? Sorry, isn't there a shot in four where the where the mask has blonde hair at one point? I think yeah, it's either four or five, but I think you're right. I think it is four where there's a quick mm. shot where you can see it has very visible blonde hair, and then the next shot it's gone. Like the the content the continuity guy was doing a worse job than I am with this fucking spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> well, four, five, and six have its own continuity, and it becomes rather like bewilding why Michael's mask keeps getting cleaner and cleaner and cleaner. But this one, it's just baffling that he's managed to have that mask exactly for 20 years, but it is in better condition than it would have been in the first place. Well, maybe place. it's a new one. And this shows up in a great... Well, I mean, he show... he gets new ones, but like they don't have like like Jeffrey Dahmer masks in Wisconsin. So it seems weird <laughs> that there would be so many of these white masks for the serial killer. Like, you have to special order a Ted Bundy yeah, mask You think they'd something. be pulled off the market after Michael, the Michael <laughs> Where's Myers Where's he finding murder? this well, shit constantly? Well, or maybe he bought a bunch, you know. Sometimes if I really like a t-shirt, I'll buy a few. Like, you know, like... <laughs> I'll, I'll give you that, but it, it just seems weird that in between these movies, he's he's beautifully physically fit. And that's not even my problem with this. That I, I'm, I'm more nostalgic with, with this film than any other that... It was, I, I believe, the first horror movie I ever saw in theaters, and I saw it with my mother, and then, you know, 20 years later, I got to see Halloween Ends with my mother, so it was kind of a, a cool transition, but it that's what it was built upon. It was built on the same extravagance that Halloween Ends is built on now, so most people saw the movie and judged it because it was supposed to be the very last time, and Jamie has done this many times before. I'm never going to do this again, and then she'll get a better paycheck, and she'll do it no matter what the story is. And when Halloween H2O came out, uh, even the original commentary, she says the exact same thing she's saying now. This is the best one yet. This is the end. I love the script. <laughs> it's the greatest thing on the planet. And it, it kind of gives you a realization. No one really cares what's going on here. Somebody involved might have written a really, like the new series like, is, is not a part of this, but I think with H2O, somebody involved might have cared about what they were doing, but this was was a 20 year later cash grab. We have got to make a new Halloween movie, but I still like it. And, and, and just like Justin had been bringing up, I love the relationship between Josh Harnett and Jamie Lee Curtis. They're believable. I love the beginning of the movie. I love that scary kind of creeping feeling that we're moving back into Haddonfield. And we're looking at this nurse. Who's a minuscule character from the very first movie. You've got, um, third rock from the sun. Why can't I think of his name? 
Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Who I always Levitt. forget is in this every time I watch yeah, it. Yeah, I'm always shocked. Like, oh, he's the hockey kid. It reminds me almost of Dogma, the the, the three demons <laughs> hockey players. Yes. from. He's just one of them that's moved to Haddonfield. But all of it works, and it's, it's a funny transition from Halloween 5 that it seems like this very forced... Everyone's into grunge, right? These are what kids are into. This movie actually seems to kind of face what the time period was. Even Josh Harnett's shitty haircut. Everyone wore those <laughs> long striped shirts with holes in the thumbs that you could pull your, your thumb out through. It it seemed appropriate. It was a very Gen X-ish, moody, I, I don't like my mom, but she turns out to be right. It didn't have any... Overemphasis for the time, but it, it it managed to encapsulate what that time period was. And when you look back on it now, H two O suits that time period. And out of the other sequels that were made in the late nineties, I think it runs a lot more pleasantly. And I mean, there's there's discrepancies with the masks and problem, but L O Cool J, Love and Lady Cool James, he is the guy to 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 totally beat Michael Myers. He would survive. No one can get him and Method Man. No one can convince me. <laughs> His hat is like a shark's fin. Of course he's going to survive. <laughs> and that's a weird era on the same time. Like this was a LO Cool J was a national hero for like three or four years. He defeated the sharks. Time. Yeah. And this, uh, Michael Myers, you couldn't kill him. Samuel Jackson couldn't compete with him. It was just an amazing, weird, like four year quality of LO Cool J. Yeah. Um, like Justin said, uh, this one has bounced up and down my list over the years. But um, this was the big surprise for me on the rewatch, uh, like how like well made it is. It, it's uh, they dialed down the gore and went back to the suspense of uh, the original movie. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and Alan Arkin. <laughs> yeah, um, Jamie Lee Curtis is, is really great. I, I'd say she's better in these than she is in the new movies. Um, and yeah, and, and from when the confrontation takes place, the whole section right up to the end is, is excellent. Um, I mean, <laughs> this should probably, it should be probably be higher for me, but you know, I've got, I've got, <laughs> I, I, I like schlock. So <laughs> yeah. Well, it is pretty high up on Jose's. It is his number four. And he says it's his favorite of the sequels. It's decidedly cheesy, decidedly too self-referential, and most notably bogged down in family drama. The appearance of a Strode son, Josh Hartnett, who oddly really does look like the Myers mask <laughs> right down to the wonky ass hair, which I didn't think of until he wrote this. And yeah, he's actually on point with that. Uh, it's an efficient 89-minute cheeseburger with a wow, what just happened ending yep. that left me aghast and breathing hard, just like Laurie. Should have stopped here, but what are you going to do? And I do love the ending. I think we, we talked about it, obviously, with Resurrection when they re uh, retconned it. But it's, especially with this, and I love that they did reserve, like, the gore and more the violence and kept it suspense, because it makes her chopping his head off at the yeah. end. Spoilers, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but it makes it much more visceral and like powerful that like, that's when we get our big kill moment is Lori finally getting. Yeah. It. And I, I love like how you get into that sequence as well is uh, she just makes the decision to like, to be like, fuck this. I'm ending the franchise and like, like <laughs> takes, takes him out of there. And then, uh, then has a bit of uh, him reaching for, and you know, a bit of the old mystery of, uh, you know, what's he really about Michael Myers and then just decides, oh, fuck off and cuts his head off. 
And that's some of the failure with resurrection is trying to return to that emotion with that little touch that she reaches out and has, and then he stabs her in the back and drops her into the trees that aren't even planted in the ground sitting on a studio somewhere. <laughs> like you can see the bags of dirt the trees are in as she drops into that shot where that was shot on a soundstage. They didn't care. There was no work put into resurrection. Yep. Okay. And I think we transition to Halloween four then since we all knocked that one off too. Yeah. Um, I mean, this isn't a great movie. I just kinda like it. <laughs> that's 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 all the defense I have. Um and it's got a great ending. Um it's I mean, it's the best uh, it's the best Loomis performance in the Thorn trilogy. Um and it's the lightest on the thorn trilogy and uh, thorn mythology in the thorn trilogy and uh oh, jamie lloyd what's her name her real name daniel harris uh yeah yeah is a surprisingly great child act actor and uh it moves along at a cracking pace and has some um uh enjoyably cheesy 80s action beats uh it's it's a fun time yeah, so this is one that used to rank higher for me. Uh, I still have a soft spot for it on revisits, but I will admit it, it definitely reeks almost too much of 80s cheese. The one thing that still sticks with me and what I love about this installment is excluding Halloween 3, this is the one that feels the most like a Halloween movie and that this feels like, okay, we're actually in a small town Halloween setting. Uh, it's very noticeable. I think going back with the first Halloween that it was originally just called the babysitter murders and they kind of had to force that in a little bit. And some of them like H2O has some of that feel in the beginning, but this one, it, they really nail that small town feel and what holds this one together for me. You had mentioned it, Harry, uh, when we talked about some of the other ones, it's just in Linus. Daniel Harris is mm. wonderful. And I think that really carries this. Uh, gets the joke that, oh, of course, now it's just, uh, you know, another relative that Michael's going to go after. And that is something that when revisiting the series over the past couple of years, I am glad that David Gordon Green dropped because it becomes too, it almost takes away the tension when it just feels like, well, Michael's just killing his family members. And if you get in his way, you're dead, as opposed to it's more dangerous if he's just evil and you just happen to walk in front of him and he's going to imprint. But I still think it kind of works in a just like you said it's fun slightly cheesy kind of way some of the characters are also nice i love not just daniel harris but her sister to go back to to five they have a really nice relationship there and it's very believable uh it's just it's, it's a nice fluffy installment almost yeah i mean it works for what story is trying to be told i think it starts with an amazing bang of michael myers has been in a coma for 10 years and suddenly he can just attack and voraciously kill people. He shoves his thumb through someone's head. So the very first, like, five minutes of this movie, you know you're going on an absolutely psychotronic ride. And I think it kind of uh, tries to reevaluate the series after what the disappointment most audience members had with Part 3 by just completely revamping things. If you want the guy in the mask, here's the guy in the mask. And it it's... I find it almost a fault to the movie using photos of Jamie Lee Curtis later on to describe and let the audience know, yes, this is, is, is Jamie's mother, that she's dead, she's died off screen. I would have almost preferred to completely skip that 
but that ties into the familial aspect of they're they're angering angrily here trying to dra- grab at straws to continue this sort of thing of well we we don't have her we don't have a brother everyone else is dead let's use the niece this is a new character and it's fine because uh, Daniel Harris sells it and she might sell the character more than I I even think Jamie Lee Curtis does in the new David Gordon Green series that like it, this is an incredibly sympathetic character you really believe in her survival. But the overall effect of the movie just is, I don't know, I don't know what they're trying to tell me. I don't understand the point of, I don't I don't feel any, any, like, uh, any way to end this, that I get to the end of the movie and I can't find any satisfaction because it's just going to continue. And I know if I continue, I'm never going to get an ending. And I think the characters that were given in this movie really deserve an ending that especially Daniel Harris, that the Jamie Lloyd character is, is richly written, has a great amount of sympathetic value, but really is a character that could move and have legs. And, and Rachel too, out of both of these, I think they're drastically wasted and just thrown away for cash grabs. And that's a shame. It makes it hard for me to enjoy the movies because I know no matter what I enjoy with what I'm watching in the next version she's just going to be thrown away okay um and then i know for jose he just said well he started his off by saying another freaking relative <laughs> uh this sequel set lisa return to form in some ways featuring dan harris in a great appealing role this one has great thriller sequences and atmosphere the return of pleasance now featuring a star that seems to change scene by scene and a downbeat ending that sears itself in the viewer's mind and echoes carpenter's landmark original right on nice okay so we're down to the top three so we at this point should we recap everyone's lists yeah okay so justin uh your uh your 13 down to four all right so 13 was halloween resurrection 12 was halloween 5 11 was halloween 6 10 was rob zombies halloween 2 9 was halloween ends Eight was Halloween four, seven was Halloween kills, six was Rob Zombie's Halloween, five was Halloween H two O, and four was Halloween two from nineteen eighty one. And then for Jose, his number thirteen was Halloween Resurrection, his number twelve was Halloween six, his eleven was Halloween five, his ten was Halloween ends, his nine was Halloween kills. His eight was Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. His seven was Halloween 2 from 1981. His six was Halloween 4. His five was Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. And his four was H2O. Okay. <laughs> and for me, my 13th was Halloween Resurrection. My 12th was Halloween The Curse of Michael Myers. My 11th was Halloween 5 The Revenge of Michael Myers. What am I on? A 10? My 10th is Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. My 9th, Halloween 2, 1981. My 9th, Halloween 2007. My 8th, Halloween H20, 20 years later. My 8th, 7th, rather, Halloween 2, two, Rob Zombie, 2009. My 7th, Halloween Ends, 2022. Was that my seventh or fifth? Why can I not uh, your count? sixth. That was your sixth. Okay. <laughs> no, no one can count apparently on Dance by DVD. <laughs> the series, well, because they only include the numbers in some of the sequel names. That also is throwing us off, I think. And then my fifth, 
Halloween Kills 2021. Oh, and your number four. Oh, my number four. Halloween 2018. All right, okay. I do yours just to, to get everyone up to yeah. date. Yeah. yeah, I think that's honestly <laughs> just really smart, and that's how I should yeah. be doing it. All right, okay. Um, Halloween 5, 13. Halloween Resurrection at 12. Halloween 6, 11. Rob Zombie's Halloween at 10. Um, uh, Halloween 2018 at 9. Halloween Kills at 8. Uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 at 7. Halloween ends at six, H2O at five, and Halloween four at four. So, this is interesting. <laughs> I think we're ready to move on. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I was expecting like we missed one that we all yeah, like, um, you know, hit, but I don't think we did. Our our top three, I think, is all over the yeah, place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, massively different from everyone else's. This is fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's just making me think that I fucked it up still, but uh, <laughs> here we go. Well, you know what, though? We're getting so close to the end that if we somehow still did, we can just easily backtrack and talk about another one yeah, anyway. We'll, we'll sort it out with editing magic, or we won't. <laughs> there will be synth. That's what the, the, for every fuck up, there's going to be some synth playing in the background. Oh, man. The spreadsheet dies tonight. Uh, right. Right. Okay. Um, uh, just so my no, number just in three yeah yes my number three is halloween from 2018 david gordon green's first stab at the series mm -hmm. and jose's number three is also 2018's halloween from david gordon okay green. well we've got a, a full house for uh halloween 2018 shall we uh everyone's on number three yeah. shall we uh discuss 2018 yeah. I think for me, what what was the amazing? I didn't see this the the year it came out. And in fact, I I was, I guess against it. I was a hater for the movie. I just didn't care. By this point in time, I have no interest in watching new Halloween movies. And it wasn't until Kill Kills was getting ready to come out where I was like, I need to check this out. So I sat down and I saw Halloween 2018 the night before Kills came out, and I I I was shocked. I really was. I mean, impressed, I guess, is something I could say, but it felt more than that, that this was reinvigorating to me and this refreshed everything that I've had as a fault to the series. We had an entirely new mythos of what was happening with Michael Myers. They're no longer related. We had a brilliant character introduced with Michael's new doctor, which I thought was a really adequate replacement for Dr. Loomis. And to the fault, I feel, of the other two movies, this character should have had longevity. This could have brought more, but I, I had, the less we know, it almost seems the better. Each film that we've been given by David Gordon Green seems to have its own universe inside of it, and each one is provocative and offers something else, whether it be emotionally or politically. And this movie, I felt, really captured the the fear of the unknown and the xenophobia of what John Carpenter was bringing forward with, with the original Halloween that we know nothing of Michael. It's this blank slate to the extent that the character has no face even. We have this mask that represents them instead of themselves, and it's the evil within, and it's the evil of, of men. I mean, he went and saw Black Christmas, and he knew he wanted to make a movie like... 
he, he wanted to make a film in the same vein as Black Christmas, and it turned into something so dramatically different. And with Black Christmas, you have a movie that makes the holidays feel evil, but with Halloween, it's the evil of men. And you move 40 years later into 2018, Michael Myers is is purely evil. I love how the movie is structured. I love how the movie begins. I, I love bringing culture into it that there are these podcasters doing a true crime podcast, and they're the ones that end up invoking the evil. And what we learn throughout this film and the next movie turns the myth of Laurie and Michael completely over. I, I, I was just impressed and enjoy every aspect of it. And when I go back and rewatch it, I'm still like, holy shit, I forgot about that part. Or I'm, I'm impressed again by what is presented to me on screen that so many years later, these people, Danny McBride and David Gordon Green, managed to refresh and bring something completely different to a series that people have exasperatingly been tired of because it's the same thing every single time. And and for me, it, it changed how I watch Halloween, that when I watch it, my preferred way now, I watch the 78 David Gordon Green kills and then ends, that that's my, my quadrilogy, that's my, my contention with Halloween now. They gave me a series that has actually given me contention, has made me happy as a fan. Yeah, well, I, I completely disagree. <laughs> <laughs> That's about time. Well, you know, I, I I was the complete opposite to you going into this movie. I, I bought into the hype. They had, they had Carpenter on board, but, I mean, that should have been a giveaway because Carpenter just doesn't give a shit because he's just like... Give me some money, and I'd heard uh, I'd heard his score. Give me a pack of cigarettes. I, I'd heard his score before the movie, and that's great. So, so I was listening to that the week before, and I was pumped for it. And then it was just—I I mean, they do all the things you say in terms of uh, getting rid of the Laurie Michael connection, and it's a well-made film. But other than that, it's just—it's just another Halloween movie. Um, I I just find the script really ropey. The amount of coincidences in setting up Michael getting back into into Haddonfield, it it's more coincidences than Star Wars. You know, <laughs> like like you, you had to. It's like he was dropped down from space at the exact right point to pick up his mask and kill some podcasters, or because of uh, a, an evil Loomis caused his prison break. But then, but but then he went to the garage at the, the the exact right time to bump into the podcasters we'd previously previously been introduced to, who were uh, must have been on their way home by that point, who had somehow the, his original mask in their car boot because one of them is. Well, that's admittedly a, a huge problem because it's a, he doesn't break out until like seven a.m. the next day, and that's a daylight scene. So somehow they've been almost 24 hours indisposed leaving Smith Grove Sanatorium. I didn't think about that. Well, what was he going to do if he didn't bump into them and get his mask? Would he have killed anyone or would he have, you know, just, I don't know, gone, like jump straight to going living in, in his pipe like a Ninja Turtle? Um, <laughs> uh, there's a part of me that thinks he still would have and would have probably just grabbed something else off the rack. It was just coincidental that, oh, shit, the mask is here. All right. Even though... There is the bit with the, well, I don't know. I want to rewatch. I kind of like, even though in the opening, 
all the other patients are going crazy because of the mm-hmm. mask that Michael really isn't. And it's this idea that the podcasters and everybody else are putting more stake yep. in this than Michael yep. is. So I, I kind of like that aspect. Yeah. I feel the mask actually comes back into play throughout the series though. And uh, eventually we'll get to, well, we already kind of talked about it, but I, I guess to, to backtrack to Halloween ends, I think a lot of the mask comes to Michael's power and that turns back into the, the figurative nature of Christine and we discussed this on Watch Skip Plus, but there's a sequence where Michael kills someone with Corey, and he he seems to become lively. He twitches, he moves. I think the mask and the anonymity of the evil within the mask is what carries Michael, and especially when Corey beats the shit out of him and takes it from him and yells, you're just an old man. It, it's the power of, of uh, even the first Carpenter movie. He only does it while he's masked. Corey has to find a mask. It it moves to, uh, it's it's more of a feudal grasp at straws here, but it's more philosophical than anything, that anyone can hide behind a, a shell of who they are. Almost like American Psycho, you've got that beautiful scene where he's going through his daily regime of what he puts on his face, and finally it, it, it accumulates with him saying, I, I'm just a mask, you might touch my hand, but nothing's truly there, I'm not really there. It's all hiding behind something else, whether it be a, a facade of politics or, or like some of these movies we've discussed are, are are very dated with their time period. You've got like Josh Harnett's character in H2O. He's a very edgy teenager. These are all facades that eventually break down to who the character really is. I think Michael is almost interpreted through the evil of anonymity, that that mask is... What makes, especially with the David Gordon Green series, it all seems to kick off with the podcasters bringing the mask. And like Justin brought up, everyone freaks out. Everyone seems to have a deep reaction to it that maybe it's just the evil that we put in into objects, the evil that we assign things. I mean, even like the Jeffrey Dahmer show, we're assigning a, a certain amount of evil and, and uh, Terrifier 2, you're seeing all these articles where people are passing out and throwing up in the theater. It's kind of assigning an evil to the subject matter. So you're going to watch this movie assuming it's going to do this, 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 and this. And I, it's it's a stretch I'm making here, but I think a lot of, especially the David Gordon Green series, is the mask. It's not so much Michael. It's the, the evil that could be. Yeah, but, I mean, if, uh, but if he didn't, if he didn't have it though it it raises a great question would he and and i i kind of almost i really think i agree with you that he would have just fucked off and been in a tunnel okay that he you know what what would he have done without that power yeah i i mean i i dislike the uh the coincidence of him happening upon it i mean because well i like i I may i don't the, the problem is He'd already killed three people by the time he got the mask. Did did he kill them to get the mask? Did he already know it was there, or uh, or did he just kill them and he was like, "Oh shit, my mask." I honestly, no, I was just gonna say, I honestly lean more on the latter that he was just gonna kill. It's more interesting now to look with where ends was very heavy with the mask so i don't know if they had that idea in mind with 2018 because just even on rewatches my vibe was always michael like the evils within him and we're putting as harry said the evil within the mask and he was going to kill regardless it just happened that he probably would have put on some kind of a mask because that's always been his motif of like hiding behind it like you know so you don't see me 
but I, it almost is just coincidental that it happened. Maybe in hindsight, looking at this, it probably would have just been better and they might have had to tip their hand a little bit more earlier, but that Sartain had the mask and kind of gave it to him or there could have been a way where we could see, oh, wait, he conveniently was there to drop it off. I think that was just a matter of they wanted that twist to be there later and they didn't think that part through. Mm, yeah, they, I mean, I guess Sartain could have given it to him um, after the sheriff just ran him over. Hmm. I mean, it could have been even that Sartain told him the plan that once you break out, this is where these people are going to be. That's a lot of backwriting that's not included. I think it really well, it works more on the fact of he just runs upon the, it. The Sartain character kind of needs all the help he can get, though, like, for me. Like, like that character sucks. <laughs> like, like I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I know they had to explain why Michael ends up facing Laurie when Laurie is not really a factor in uh, his motivation anymore for killing. But, you know, it's just like, ah, I'm an evil Loomis and I wanted to see what, what Michael would do. It's like, well, uh, I don't know. I think he's wasted way too early. That, that that ends up being the problem with the character, that if he could have had some longevity, we could have worked with what he's standing for. And he, he I mean, his death is, is great. It's a really, uh, it's overused throughout the David Gordon Green series. Michael loves to stomp on people's heads. He does it like two or three times. But it, it destroys what we could learn, and it, it just seems like these weren't written back-to-back, -back, that there was mm -hmm. a piece mm -hmm. between them where they didn't realize, well, fuck, we could have used that character, and now we can't. There can't be an assistant nurse doctor or something to, to replace him, and all of that was thrown away, and it... Yeah. It, it it to me is damaging because keeping his even like like hurt in a hospital, being able to talk a little bit more about why this theory came forward. I think that's a big thing that was needed with David Gordon Green's series is we needed more to what Michael is doing from this time period from seventy eight to now. Why is he so fixated on this? Why does he want to kill? And you kill Sartain, we have nothing. With yeah, that. well, it does he even want to kill? I mean, he's he's just been staring into space for four years, and then Sartain directs him on this path, and then has his head stomped, and then that's it. Um, you know, is 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 it is Michael, uh, <laughs> like the original movie, notwithstanding, is Michael like Corey and ends? Has he had this this creep? telling him that he's uh you know this mass murderer so he's like all right then i i always yeah and i always kind of also just took it to be that definitely but also he was contained like there was you know you have all those guards so inside it's like that evil is suppressed but the second that he's you know set free uh, off the bus and that like evil just almost like takes over it's free and now it's just gonna roam and kill whoever comes in its path um definitely with hindsight on where some the series would go hurt some of it uh i'm also somebody that i actually have no problem even if i know where something's gonna go i can separate and go well if i don't like where they went with the sequels where i can just accept the 2018 installment or halloween 4 on its own merit and just pretend nothing yeah, else yeah, happened yeah, after yeah. that i i don't have that issue i think for me I agree that there's, especially on rewatches, it's a little ropier than I remember. But I mentioned earlier how if I'm watching a bad movie, that's when I start nitpicking. Well, on the opposite side, if I'm watching something that at its core I feel is, you know, competently made and is really engaging me, 
I'm willing to forgive and overlook and sometimes just not even notice it until somebody like yourself, Linus, brings up some of those weird inconsistencies of, okay, I don't really even overthink the fact that, yeah, it doesn't make sense that he's able to conveniently get his mask and Sartain's orchestrating almost feels like some of it ended up being happenstance and it the end product doesn't seem like oh he just ran with it it still seems like he thought he was orchestrating it like this as a puppet master the whole time where i think this one shines especially after seeing the reactions to ends is they had this hard task of you're doing another just kind of like h2o now you're doing one 40 years later they had pitched this idea of you know wanting to just focus on the evil but when it comes to especially some of those kills, they still felt like they needed to satisfy like almost everyone. I honestly, I feel like Sartain, as much as it's about evil, is also just they knew that people love the Loomis character and they're going to kind of subvert your expectations by here's the new Loomis. Oh, wait, no, not really. He's a completely different beast. I think they actually did a really admirable job of kind of satisfying almost everyone. You get just really fun st- very brutal kills with him like head stomping people making somebody's head into some weird ass jack-o'-lantern that makes no sense but it is a very cool looking effect you get some really great family drama i like even though i think in hindsight more looking at it yes curtis was better and maybe h2o than she was in this i love the fact that she is this unhinged you know somebody who tried to move on but she could not fix with that trauma and it is kind of politically driven in the sense of is she going to you know just take that survivalist mentality and not realize that since she's basically become what michael was to her that night this just unstoppable evil she's now almost that because she's just waiting around until she can trap him and like shoot him and which there was somebody else that brought up and again i never thought about this but to kind of go spoilers to to where the ending goes when she brings him back to her house like the whole thing is she traps him in the basement to set him on fire. But like, there's a whole bunch of guns around <laughs> where she could have easily just shot him. So it, it is stuff where it's so over yeah. the top, but I just, how you said you had fun with four. I really, having seen this a couple of times now, since then, I really just have fun with this one because I think the slashing element is fun, but I love the psychology of not just seeing Jamie Lee Curtis and Laurie Strode having this issue dealing with this, but how her daughter took to it. Judy Greer, I think is fantastic in this, uh, how Allison by, uh, wonderfully by Andy Matichak, how she is kind of seeing both sides and maybe, especially because she's having that teenage rebellion, maybe siding with grandma a little mm-hmm. bit more. And I love the, the feel, the small town, the humor actually was a little bit better because I liked the first time I watched it, but kind of thought about it more as like, they kind of went heavy with it yeah. really weird. And on the rewatch, I thought that, but when I visited it one more time, I was like, it's still kind of there, but there is also the element of a lot of the weird humor isn't during the actual like tension it's just during more downbeat moments or right before like before michael comes in with the babysitter and that where yeah maybe it's a little showy but like why wouldn't this like kid be just really bad mouthing his babysitter because he doesn't know what's going to happen the dad is just a really weird guy like i loved lumpy that was my main man lumpy was my favorite thing (laughs) about this entire movie i want a spinoff about lumpy and his dancing career Lumpy was great. And, and I love what I loved about Lumpy because I did see this opening night and I'm still going to be, especially my first viewing, the crowd ate it up. But when they killed Lumpy, that crowd like 
their hearts dropped. And what was brilliant about that is later on when Michael was in a house and you hear a baby cry, audibly so many people went, oh no, in our theater. And I don't think they would have believed that if they didn't kill Lumpy. I think the fact that they showed, oh, we're going to kill a child here. Everyone had that split second of, oh, maybe they will kill the baby. Even if you don't see him physically do it, they might do it. And I thought that was really brilliant tension and suspense and forward thinking in that regard so it it is a little ropier but i'll be honest it's surprisingly still high on my list because i think the beats that it needs to hit are great and if even though i'm coming around on ends and had fun with kills if this was a one and done it's still ropey but i love that finale and there's the spot with michael and flames and he's just staring at the camera that legitimately sends chills up my spines it is like the personification of evil because it's so blank and I just, and I love, it. and I glad they got rid of the, the family connection, because I think it's more terrifying that Michael is just this evil that is lurking and will imprint on you, but nobody is safe. If you get in his way, he will kill you. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree, but I think it'd be more terrifying if they'd have found a way to get him into that situation without like um, an evil doctor going, Michael, go here. <laughs> you know? I even kind of like that. And I honestly, even though I don't think the execution worked, I always kind of liked that more. I, I see these sequels of, I wish we would have seen that more with Loomis where like, cause we had talked briefly on watch get plus of like, how does this guy still have his license? I think the idea in those sequels should have been maybe show that, Oh, this guy was a great doctor. And they did it a little bit in Rob zombies, yeah. Halloween with Malcolm McDowell at first, where he's genuinely trying to reach this kid and can't do it. And that should be like, that's the breaking point and like Loomis should lose his license and he should lose his entire life because this evil has now infected him and his idea of saving unfortunately I think in 2018 as well and some of those other sequels they it doesn't get to be expanded on and in this case to Harry's point the fact that they kill him off so quickly which is a great kill but that ended up doing a disservice because I think especially for kills if he was still around we would have felt that more as opposed to it did just feel like a twist at this point for the sake of having a twist Yeah, where I don't think that was. Yeah. It, it was clearly like they didn't know they were doing sequels at the time. And it was like, right, let's get us to the, uh, the, the end set piece. Um, I mean, had, had there been a planned trilogy, then yeah, easily this character could have been a, a thread throughout and maybe a, a shocking reveal late, later on. I find it strange that Frank is the character that ends up having longevity with Halloween kills. And I mean, he appears to be dead on screen mm. and, and the doctor kills him. And it's, it's a, a weird duality where you would much prefer one or the other, because when it comes to ends, Frank is completely useless. He doesn't really add anything to the story. They set up in Halloween kills that he's very imperative to why Michael Myers is alive. And then they neglect that. And in the third film with ends as to using the doctor. And I, I, I will defend the character because I, I like what he stands for. I think there is a duality and looking at, uh, especially what Justin just said of Loomis actually being a really great doctor. So this guy has been in Loomis's shadow for 40 some years dealing with all of his failed attempts to reach Michael Myers to where he has begun fanaticizing and philosophizing on what his own, 
means could be with it. So he's like practicing black magic pretty much in the shadows. He's learning all these secret ways uh, away from psychiatry, psychological, psychological care, dealing with what is, is the normal and right ways to deal with something. He's coming up with all these obscene and obscure ways of how to deal with Michael. So once Loomis finally dies, and in this timeline, we don't know how long he lived. He could have only been dead a few years. I like to believe that Sartain has has not had a lot of time and he's just sort of burst in the last few years and become a psychopath for for a lack of better terms because of Michael Myers and his obsession is truly getting before time is out before because I mean it's acknowledged Michael Myers is much older Laurie Strode is much older it's 40 years later he is attempting to to cause all of this to happen as quickly as possible and that could be an explanation as to why things are appearance-wise so sloppy in the movie that he, his character, Sartain, didn't have time to come up with all of this. But if that was important, it would have been a part of the movie. If that was more than speculation, it would have been written and added into the script. So I have to agree with Linus that it really is spotty. When you when you take mm-hmm. a lot of time with a magnifying glass and look at this, there's more displeasing than not. But I, I kind of like... It's an evil Loomis now. I like that twist. I, I to me, it's just. I, 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 and and Linus pointed this out. It's just it's another Halloween sequel. But I like that. I guess out of a Halloween sequel, it works for me personal wise. I, I I I like the idea of an evil Loomis, but the execution was lacking for me. And I I uh, I don't know. I mean, just to contradict my statement I just said a second ago, uh, the idea is it I it also. Um, it, it also at the time it smelt a bit Halloween six to me that like that Mike Michael's in this situation not because he's just this like th- this blank evil killing machine but uh, there's a conspiracy behind it that put him in this place like and it's a bit silly like um, yeah I, I guess for me it wasn't so I mean in this case yes and I, I do agree there's a lot of holes when you when you really start digging in but i still took it to be that michael is evil because with six they have to they basically say the Samhain curse and all this the runes that's why he turned evil when he was a kid with with this one it wasn't oh he's evil he was always evil. he's just he's now infected dr loomis or well loomis but also dr sartain but to your point you have i get where you're coming from of because they kill off Sartain and it does just feel like, oh, it's evil Loomis and we got to go there. Like, yeah, it does. Is Michael still really evil or would he would to this point now that we've seen ends, would he be just chilling in a pipe and he just would have went elsewhere, just went back and sat on the bus if it wasn't for Sartain. Mm. So, well, uh, yeah, I guess with a, a bit better planning, you could, you could thread all these bits together with um, Sartain and Corey, both uh, having a sort of vampiric, transference of uh, evil but uh so and then uh i'll give jose's thoughts yep. quick um david gordon green's requel recasts our pretty beleaguered heroine as a feral rude paranoid trauma victim albeit one armed to the thief teeth alice sarah connor from the terminator series visually and tonally on par with the original it missteps in some of its plazing plotting crazy doctor lets Meyer loose to see what he does um okay but the script has a final family assisted twist that delivers on the strode Meyer's confrontation final girl how about final badass mom so i think he's actually in agreement with you on the the plotting but i, I think 
kind of similar to where I'm at, where I like where the end result gets in a lot of the field that this has. So I'm more willing to just kind of go with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, the final sequence is pretty great. Um, I don't have once we're where we're going. I don't have any complaints with that. Other than like, like for fuck's sake, you know, you've got guns. Don't just set the house yeah, on exactly. fire. Exactly. What was the point of arming use your them. house with the teeth with guns if you're not going to use them? Yeah, really? but like, I don't know. Like peppered throughout, some of the the dialogue is just horrendous, and some of the the, the comedy really just doesn't work for me. Um, I I don't want to hear a policeman talk about a sandwich. Um. That is a scene that does strangely go on for way too long. Yeah, it's, it's only a little bit like that. Like, what's funny is the scenes even cut down. That the, there's a, like a five minute Bond me scene <laughs> that keeps going more and more and more. So there was somebody that had to come to them and say, "Look, guys, the Bond me scene's got to go. You got to do." And they didn't get rid of the whole thing. I and I it, I feel like I'm going against the grain here, but I liked a lot of that because for me it it was. No one believes in the evil anymore. No one is afraid of Michael Myers. These people don't care. They're inept buddy comedy cops that no one is alarmed by the situation. So when the violence starts going over the top, no one's prepared for it. So I, I, I feel it works to an extent with the horror of the movie, but it is a bit too much on the nose comedy but I, I see the next movie I like the comedy and I think a lot of that I mean I, I think a lot of it's not intent comedy but Evil Dies Tonight was hysterical to me just what it stood for I thought was hysterical and so many people that hate it I I, I just think they kind of miss the point but that we'll get there in a little while uh, my final point on this is uh, I don't know I mean it's not for me to say what uh, a character's appropriate response to to trauma is but uh i don't know perhaps having seen h2o um this jamie lee had only uh experienced the first movie um but you know i i felt the the, the lengths to which he'd prepared for uh michael breaking out like I don't know, like, uh, like, I mean, don't get me wrong, like, she went through some horrible shit in uh, Halloween 1, but, you know, I've, you know, <laughs> I've, I've had some pretty traumatic nights out in Newport, and uh, I've not, like, made a, <laughs> made a, a, a trap house to, uh, <laughs> like, protect myself, but, uh, none of it works, yeah, sure. yeah, but, like, you know, <laughs> like, I could see, like, like had had she gone through halloween too and like yeah okay and he keeps coming for you then then yeah, yeah sure okay like you know but uh i don't know i think it's massively misused that that so much is shown and she has spent all this time training and she has all these contraptions and none of it really works that that her big show off with michael is she spent years making this safe place under the floor and then immediately shoots through the floor letting her position be known like i it it doesn't seem like what you set up for the character works for what we're shown as the survivalist character she doesn't really seem like she's living out off the grid alone it seems like it's like 10 minutes away from town and she's still going to blockbuster <laughs> <laughs> I actually kind of like that though because that I mean if we go to the political angle there it almost does kind of show that she thinks almost too highly over survivalist skills and when she's actually faced with this evil returning Definitely. I mean we have no understanding that she's ever encountered anyone else since then and it is definitely 
excessive, but I mean, there are people that handle trauma differently. Mm -hmm. I, I think whenever it comes to any kind of a movie or drama, and I even said this, movies that are based on reality, when I'm watching a film, it is harder to accept that because we still know that there are characters and we understand that we do plotting. So if you're going to plot everything out like this and then just kind of subvert, it does feel weak. I'm still willing to accept this, even though I will admit it's far more excessive. And if we're going to say who did handle this better, definitely H2O's Laurie Strode had a better handle on her life. And it is the one thing that I will say that has always struck me as odd is considering how heavy that she became the survivalist. I almost don't believe she would have fell in love with someone then. I feel like she would have pushed so many people yep. away that she never would have had a kid to yep. begin with. That part, I will admit, it's a little bit hard, heavy handed. And I almost feel like there could have been, whether it's a flashback or just exposition, maybe stating that she was finally getting back on her feet, but then there was a false alarm with Michael or maybe somebody else in the neighborhood. There was something that yeah. triggered this and that's what set her off or, you know, maybe your daughter. So again, it comes down to, there is, especially the more I go back to this more weaker elements, but I still think the strengths overcome them. So I don't seem to have a big problem with the trauma though, that I, I think it's not, completely displaced even the events of part one that we we look at who laurie strode is and she is a bit more of a gifted student i i don't want to say prude but i mean because she's trying to at least set up a date in the first movie she smokes pot she's not the final girl most people project her to be she's pretty uh, just an average person but the i mean i i i don't want to have any perspective of the trauma that I didn't think anything was displaced that 40 years later, this could, the, the, those events could have traumatized her that much that she gets to where she is as a survivalist. My problem with it is all of this emphasis on her being a survivalist almost seems wasted that she has none of these skills aside from shooting a couple mannequins, all these guns and Linus had brought this up. She has all these weapons, all these guns, nothing's really used. It's just a ploy to get the stakes in the floor cage sort of thing used at the end of the movie. So it's, it's, it's a little bit of bad writing at that point that you set this character up to be something, but you don't use any of the skills she would have learned and and you look at her compound you look at her mentality i would believe that she's paying money to go out and do you know guerrilla training with with groups on the weekend and and learning how to use all these firearms she's not just blindly doing it so it really wastes the potential of her trauma you set this up to be this exquisitely traumatized person and then it throws like the last 40 years they've just been shooting at mannequins it doesn't seem to add up with what Lori would be. And I mean, uh, not regarding if she could have been this traumatized, if she was, I think she would have been able to do a lot more than what we're presented with in this movie. Yeah. Um, well, to be, uh, to be generous to the movie, I mean, maybe um, Lori was at a point where she was at in H2O and then, you know, uh, tried maybe had a sort of got to a stage where she like had a family and had kids but it kept coming back to haunt her and then she fixated on it to to a point where she got into this survivalist mode but um but yeah just the the sort of you know why don't you just shoot him in the face for god's sake problem mm -hmm. carries over into the subsequent two movies where like you know the, the evil dies tonight mob i mean like 
like <laughs> my understanding of, uh, of an outsider uh, looking in on America is like, you know, you've got a fair amount of guns, <laughs> like, but there's people mm -hmm. going out with like irons and baseball bats, you know, like, like, come on, man. Surely, surely somebody's <laughs> got like, like, like a machine gun and they can just, you know, like mm -hmm. take him out. Like, like, like they do uh, Jason at the start of uh, um, Jason goes to hell. Yeah. But look at those January 6th videos of, of the people climbing these fences trying to break into what is supposed to be almost a sacred place in the United States where, where laws are absolutely observed and our government is run from. And you have these people that are climbing the fences. They're wearing costumes. They're wearing this ridiculous patriotic garb. And you look at this movie, it, I, I think, despite it happening beforehand, was, was almost psychically showing just the psychotic fascination people will have with what they believe to be true and so much of Halloween Kills is, is the evil dies tonight mentality and I think it pairs wonderfully with Make America Great Again. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden you have this red hat and this little slogan to use and you can masquerade as I'm, I'm, I'm a patriot not a Nazi not a racist not a murderer not etc. Not everyone that was part of January 6th I'm going to say is a, a murderer but uh, it, you you are allowed to masquerade as something as a good guy, and I think that's the, a big focal point with that movie is is Tommy and everyone involved with them, even Laurie Strode's granddaughter. They're they're not going to let this happen anymore. And you could break it down to so many like, well, Mexicans are coming over the border and they're going to rape your family and steal your jobs. You know, we we can't let this happen. And this is a, a perpetuated hate that is an absolute lie that was literally because of one person that said something completely unfounded about building a fucking wall. How quickly and dangerously this word can travel I, I think was a big factor for Halloween Kills for me of of her fear, her paranoia is now upon everyone you don't realize how one person living out in the woods could really impact an entire town now they're afraid for the same reason she is and she was wrong the entire time and in Kills, it's or ends rather, it's brought up her paranoia could have landed this on the entire town mm -hmm. We're not shown this in the movie, but she could have been writing Michael. She shows up at the end, or right when Michael's being released. She's there drinking, shaking in the car. And it, to me, is, is almost like Sartain sees that, and Michael is aware of that. That she has been egging this on just as much. And uh, the problem is all of these different angles are shown in all three films. So it's not like you get this gist in Halloween, you get this gist in Halloween Kills. So it makes you go back and look at Halloween and that's kind of wrapped up into bad writing. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, yeah. well, we're yeah. being, uh, we're being more charitable to contradict, uh, the point I was trying to make then. And yeah, the, 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 yeah. The, okay. I, I, I can see that maybe this lorry, uh, has a reaction which reflects the times that we're in like, uh, and yeah. And, and like I said, you know, who am I to say how you react to trauma? Like, you know, mm -hmm. so, uh, so yeah. But to your point, uh, for you, it didn't resonate like it did to Harry and myself and, and Jose. And that's just as fair because you might be able to realize yeah, where absolutely. this is coming from, but you're also not feeling it. And that is 
does still come down to filmmaking and we are filling in of either the sequels did or we are yeah, too yeah. like i'm getting this theory of maybe something else mm. happened but they never really explained yeah. that in halloween so you kind of had to fill that in so there are elements of the writing that is a little weaker yeah, she just felt kind of one note which is even though in ends it's a massive shift and I, I know a lot of people had a hard time buying it like it i don't know i, I just enjoyed a performance more in that because it, it, mm. it had a bit more nuance to it um and the, and what really surprised me revisiting h2o was um just how a great and nuanced her performance was in that one so anyway we're down to the final three the final two, actually. Oh, shit. So that was the third. Oh, right. Well, yeah. What if I fucked up? Hey, check your spreadsheet. Oh, check it out real quick. <laughs> yeah. All right. My number two is Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, which is just so much fun. This surprised me. Jose's number two is Rob Zombie's Halloween. Ah, uh, right. Wow. I did not expect to see it that now, high up. Now, uh, yeah. Okay, that, that that was me thinking my spreadsheet was fucked, but, <laughs> but it's just a surprise. Um, my number two is Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Okay. So. And then what's your number two, Linus? Uh, my number two is Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Yeah, uh, looks like we're talking about Halloween three now. Um, yeah, no, we, do we want to do that or Rob Zombie's Halloween? We gotta do. Yeah, because that surprisingly took a while to get to because Jose surprised <laughs> us all by putting that in yeah, two. Yeah, no, we've got to do. Uh, we've got to do. Well, I have fucked something up because. Uh, <laughs> what what was left out? I think we missed we have kills, missed kills. But in our defense. Yes. We talked about kills with both ends and especially Halloween. So I feel like we kind of. Yeah, there's been up... a, a lot of mixed on kills. I think it works pretty well. We're... Yeah, so I think we're actually fine with kills because we ended up pretty much talking about that when we talked about ends and Halloween anyway. Well, this, um, well, just for the sake of it, like, Harry, where did you have kills? I had Halloween kills as my technical fourth. Oh, so right, right right before Halloween. Okay, I missed you then. Sorry. Should we just do uh, a quick five minutes on kills, just uh, in case you yeah. want to cut this together in a in a <laughs> in a more professional manner? <laughs> it's honestly one of my favorites in the series. I love the maniacal manner that Michael Myers is treated in this movie, and I think when you pair these up to the original halloweens one two and three this has a lot of replication of i mean obviously there's hospital sequences in it but one thing most people love about the the original halloween 2 is how diabolical and murderous michael myers is and the movie itself is called halloween kills it is just michael myers lashing all of this town with evil i mean it is it is just brutal some of the deaths in this movie are, are are so uncomfortable they touch upon the levels that rob zombies does that it's it's realism at action and i i love this for the fact that it is putting 
the Michael Myers myth on full blast here. This is what you want. This is what you get. You want Michael. You want this guy in the mask killing people. Then he's going to kill everyone. And then the evil dies tonight pulls into that, uh, especially as an American. And I'm sure it's obvious listening to this show. I, I lean much more left. I, I found the depiction of America, especially I live in a small American town. It was on point. These people that fanatically became obsessed with the fear, they didn't need reason. They didn't care about what was right or wrong. And there's such a harrowing sequence where Lori is, is in the hospital and she's screaming at Tommy. It's not him. It's not the right person. And this is such a, a, a awful sequence. It makes you feel a little sick watching this. This one of the, the people that was escaped from the first movie is being blamed as Michael Myers and he's running through this hospital. And, and it's just as uh, almost cumbersome as, as a feeling when you're watching Rob Zombie's Halloween and the sequence that Justin and I were discussing with Sheriff Brackett just kind of sitting on the porch dead inside after learning that his daughter's dead, that Tommy is shaking his head and realizes, oh my God, it's it's not him. And they mouth the words, it's not him, and we follow through with this character that ends up going off the roof. And I think so much of this movie wasn't centralized. I think... The focal point of the movie is centralized on Michael and his violence, but the outer realm of all of this is focusing on how people deal with trauma, how people are so quick to judge and be hateful and just jump on bandwagons without any knowledge of what's going on, and that could absolutely destroy and hurt the most innocent people. And you're left at the end of this movie just... I feel just almost fucked over. They they hurt you at the end of this film. David Gordon Green, uh, Danny McBride, everyone involved. You feel like you've been beaten a little bit because of what you've gone through, that there is no hope, which I think is complimentary with what happens with Halloween ends because you're given some false sense of hope for a little while, and it returns to... Uh, in Halloween ends, Nietzsche is is referenced. I think a lot of this comes from almost a, a nihilistic philosophy, and it's not a bad thing. It's not a hopeless version of nihilism, but the evil is within all of us, and you focus heavily on Halloween kills that Michael is 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 like a zombie almost. He can't be killed. He he is the emphasis of absolute evil to the point that nothing you can do will get rid of this. And we quickly move into that next film that he is just a man and the evil is within inside of us. So each of these films, 2018 kills and ends, I think almost there. And it's, this is shown in one of the movies, I think ends tarot cards that it's like a different reading each time. Death doesn't mean the worst thing possible. Death means change or a change into your environment and I think if you look at these films the David Gordon Green series as almost tarot cards each one is 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 different you have the hanged man you have death you have the fool and they complement each other and I, I I found this to be a complimentary film especially moving from the 1978 into kills uh, 1978 into 2018 rather than into kills the story is 100% about dealing with your own emotions. And I dug it. I, I really respect it for that. Yeah. Um, you know, well, I'm going to disagree again. Um, <laughs> <sorry. laughs> my, I'm making it last longer. My, uh, it, well, my first note on this was uh, overwrought schlock. I hate everyone still, but the kills are a lot more fun. 
I hate the characters too, mm-hmm. though. I mean, that's uh, you. You. You and I have been talking about this for a couple days, texting back and forth. I agree with you. I fucking hate the characters, but that I like that though. I I like that. I yeah. don't like the dichotomy of this family's life. That it it really reminds me of small town America. Well, I don't know. Like, um, I fine. You can hate Tommy and his gang, but I I I don't know. Just like uh, Laurie is sidelined and just pontificating making ridiculous statements about michael how he's this and he's that and he's you know every time he kills he transcends it's like 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 what you want about but uh <laughs> like uh yeah so but it, yeah it gets me to a place where i'm just rooting for michael to kill everybody and he does in quite uh quite a graphic and exciting fashion so i i do enjoy it but uh you know i'm, I'm Evil infected, did, you yeah. Then. yeah. You're like, yeah, go yeah, evil. Well, yeah, in, in spite of itself, maybe I got the the wrong message from it, but uh, you know, <laughs> but th- this is this is Halloween become. Right? I mean, he's not. Is he even really Michael in this? He's he's more Jason. He's he's this big, brutal brick shit house like killing machine that's indestructible. I mean, he kind of was at the end of the 2018 one, curb stomping people's heads and they're smashing yeah, into. So. Like basically like pumpkin, but it's it's so much more aggressive mm. in kills because it's just right off the bat. You didn't have this slow build towards it. I have a theory that that all three of these films were made with every other Halloween movie in in mind and with heavy consideration. And this one specifically interprets a lot from four, five, and six, and even some of the Rob Zombie characteristics that that they managed to meld a little bit of everything. So we turn Michael Myers into this unstoppable, unfathomable evil, and he only exists within this realm of the movie, and that's the, at the end, uh, Laurie is talking about maybe he gets power, he, he can't survive all of this, and they directly just turned that around going into Halloween Ends of, nope, he's a guy, just an old guy, By in fact, he's just a fucking really old guy that wears a mask in a, in a sewer, but for this brief bit of time it's it's almost especially when you get into the series as a younger person which i know most of us have you're watching these movies and all you really focus on is it's michael myers and he's killing people and that's the halloween series and then you grow up and you start looking at the plot and the characters and you realize there's more to it than that i think they managed to take from the 1982 halloween onward all of that violence all of that uh just unknown nature of what Michael Myers is and they wrapped it into this movie of everyone being afraid of that and that's why he ends up being so vicious so terrible as a character because he's just massacring everything but this is also everything fans have wanted for years and years so the filmmakers managed to get a little meta and here's what you want but do you really like this isn't this uncomfortable isn't this terrible doesn't this make you feel sick seeing this that i i think there's questions asked with the presentation at the same time but i might be giving it, it more you know cleverness than it actually is <laughs> i think to Linus's point where i kind of land with this one is in between 
because I actually like the concept of evil never di- or evil dies tonight and the mob mentality. And like Harry is saying, I mean, I also live in America and I found it amusing when other you know, Americans like, well, nobody would react like that. I'm like, we literally just saw it with yeah. our own eyes. Are you, you sure? <laughs> exactly. Like when we've seen it throughout history, but you also really just saw it now where, yeah, you get like the make America great again. You get a slogan, you get this idea and what i really love now that we have seen ends and it's kind of making me like kills a little bit more is i like how in ends the rest of the town was just going to blaming mm. Lori. and the reason i like that was because that also goes in this idea of oh well people they'll go in mob mentality but they don't take accountability for their own actions they'll blame somebody else for making them feel that way and uh, I mean, even with even if it's justified people do it with social media they'll be like oh facebook so it's all instagram it's all terrible but i'm like yeah but hold up half the time it's terrible because you're stirring the pot and then when people call you out you just go oh it's that damn social media you still <laughs> have like power and control over this and i like that they're going with that i just i do agree that i feel like it unfortunately especially when without seeing ends prior to it, when it first came out did come off as a bit overwrought, but I was willing to go with it. And as a slasher, it it does have some fun kills. And like Harry said, it has some really brutal, like makes you feel uncomfortable, similar to the the Rob Zombie films. And honestly, because you brought it up earlier, both Terrifier films where it's like, they go so brutal with these killings that it's almost challenging of like, is this really what you want out of a slasher? Because we're going to make you uncomfortable now and we're going to make this cruel. And when I reflect on it more, it does work to a degree. Everything doesn't come together and it suffers from feeling like a middle movie where they were holding back quite a bit, especially with Lori, because they knew they had a finale coming. And that's always seems to be a problem with the middle movie. Um, This one does have that spoiler shock ending of that's how, you know, Michael killing Lori's daughter, which when I first saw it, I was my first thought was, should we have saved that maybe for the beginning of ends or whatever? Now that I've revisited these and ends coming out, I actually like it as a shock ending because it gives you a nice cliffhanger and it actually sets a lot of what ends is going to do into better motion that if you, even if you would have opened ends at the end of this night, I like that you didn't. And it still put that idea of evil, you know, can exist and can just as quickly take something from you like that. One thing I've noticed on a rewatch, though, is certain elements. We were talking about it with his first one with the Bombay and all that. The the stuff with the the, the gay couple. It's not even so much that I, I find that offensive or anything. It's just some of those set pieces get dragged out longer than they really should. And that almost kind of like kind of kills the pacing. And I think tightening some of that would have actually made the brutality and some of the the questioning that you're supposed to do and even maybe some of the evil dies tonight more compact and i think just would have maximized it but i'm coming around i liked it when it first came out i'm starting to warm up to it a little bit more especially having seen where things go my defense of the 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 big john little john scene is if that was cut we would not have had the one clip of Minnie and Moskowitz playing in that movie, and that made it for yes. me, is that randomly a John Cassavetes movie showed up in a Halloween <laughs> film at the same time. I just want more people to Google that and look into that movie. It's a brilliant movie. It's fucking great. And that that's my favorite thing. That's what they're they're sitting on the couch eating cheese, watching Minnie and Moskowitz. Like, don't kill them. They're the best <laughs> yeah. fucking characters I, in this I movie. I did like, those are yeah. the best characters in the film, and it was, I actually did feel when they find 
finally got killed, which maybe to their point, maybe I wouldn't have felt that much if you, you tightened it up yeah. a bit. And I like Michael McDonald. I think he's very funny. So it was a very a shock to see him in this. I was like, oh. I just love that Michael McDonald has died by both Mike Myers, that that's yeah. really the finalization here. He got actual <laughs> Mike Myers and Michael Myers. It's the full also, circle. Also, what people forget, he also got killed by the leprechaun, and I think it was leprechaun too. <laughs> so, oh, wow. So he's been all over. The, it's as good yeah. as Bill Paxton being killed by the alien predator <laughs> and Terminator. And he still has time because they're going to keep rebooting all of these franchises <laughs> to get into some of the Friday the 13th, the nightmares. Let, let's get this guy in every franchise. The new horror icon. No one thought they would have Michael McDonald. Stewie, look what I can do. Put him in fucking every movie. <laughs> every movie. Do it. Uh, yeah. And then uh, to, just to give Jose's thoughts mm. on this. Uh, I first hated this one. This is Jose speaking, but upon repeat viewings, David Gordon Green actually made a Halloween film about the town. Check out the multiple pumpkin beginning credits. Can't say he didn't show his hand to begin with. While Stroh becomes a supporting character and then introduces weak Kool-Aid romance shenanigans, this one doubles as a meditation not only in the nature of trauma and its insidious infectious effects, but manages to make a political statement about our current society's mob mentality and cancel culture as just newfangled window dressing of the pitchfork and torch mobs that took down Frankenstein and other monster figures. So I think he's similar to me as well, also as Harry, but of revisits have actually kind of helped this one yeah um well i I had fun with it at the time but it was uh but yeah thanks in part to lowered expectations from my disappointment with 2018 to be honest and uh yeah and and by that point i appreciated just having uh having some some meat to feed michael myers basically uh but um one little nitpick um i was just gonna pick up like from the ending um like i agree it's it's an effective kill uh cl- cliffhanger to have um uh J- judy murdered at that point but why is she entering a crime scene and going up there like <laughs> look, what was her? how did he get there so fast exactly, too i yeah. mean uh, one scene beforehand he's dealing with this terrible mob beating him with a fucking iron and all sorts of random objects and then he's he's managed to get up this three-story maybe 18-story house the more times we see it it's bigger and he's just there in the room and the lights of the cop cars are outside so he had like they had to have a fucking security perimeter or something set up and he's just that's the dumbest part of the movie for me is michael just appears and kills her i feel she needed to die but holy shit where'd you come from man more i think about i'm surprised they didn't try to resurrection retcon this at the beginning of ends and be like oh yeah the guy they were beating wasn't michael it's just some other dude he gave him the mask and he got his own other one like (laughs) just one of the homeless guys from down by the river like yeah oh my god yeah and that's why he has this like connection to him well, um, I thought that was actually Nick Castle. When I first saw Halloween Ends, I thought, because everyone kept saying there's a Nick Castle yeah. cameo, and I was like, well, no shit, he's mm-hmm. fucking Michael Myers. I thought that they meant the cameo was either going to be, you know, Nick Castle is appearing as Michael's face, but it's it's somebody completely separate mm-hmm. in, in a party sequence that I never even noticed was Nick Castle. Yeah, yeah, same yeah it's uh, see anything you like, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, so yeah, that's what it's the homeless guy that's flashing no, no, at the that's, party that's, scene that's, for like one that's second. Two separate guys. But he's not. Oh, I guess I'm calling him homeless because he's wearing that coat. But it's when they go to the the big party, <laughs> and so that's Nick. But, Castle. but that's not the yeah, same I, homeless guy that Corey kills. 
And that scene's even more confusing when uh, Corey kills the guy because the guy says, I'm Michael Myers. Like, what the fuck are you? Why? <laughs> what does that have to do with the story? I'm still fucked with the, 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 the face carved into the wall. I have theories on all of that, but we've moved far past Halloween ends theories. Yeah, well, it, well, it could be. Yeah, Michael uh, took a... Took some stonemasonry class in, uh, in Smith's Grove. Yeah, I mean, I like what we said on on Watch Skip Plus that I think the the whole Nietzsche thing really is is referential. But at the same time, this homeless guy that's missing most of his fingers somehow managed to carve this immaculate version of himself into the, what the fuck are you trying to tell me? What <laughs> what does this have to do with the story? And it 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 doesn't, but it, it's complimentary. All of it works for itself, but. When you look at some of the other movies we've been discussing throughout this, so much doesn't work. So much is just in your face. Uh, they didn't even care about the mask, and that sounds like a very silly thing to bring up and bitch about, but one thing should be very important while making a Halloween movie, and that is the authenticity and the design of the mask. And Rob Zombie's films managed to do something completely new and different for we discuss in the second film. He doesn't wear a mask for a lot of it, and then when he does, most of his face is exposed, and that is a great representation of the evil within side of us. But with David Gordon Green's series, we have a very aged mask in the first film, but as we progress and move through, it becomes more damaged, more old, and kind of wears us as the audience as we see Michael aging and is a representation of the character just being a man. But the most important thing is it looks good. It's a great mask. It it, it is. I want to go spend $70 and buy a version of this mask. Halloween four. Fuck off. I don't want exactly. that. I don't, <laughs> I don't want that at all. Yeah. I'm just now thinking we didn't do, cause I think we all mentioned Halloween two from 81. Didn't we? Yeah. That was, yeah, that's just the one. <laughs> cause I was trying to think, I'm like, we went over all those. I'm like, Oh no, we didn't do that one. <laughs> I think it's because we talked about Rob Zombie's Halloween uh, too, and those the damn numbering of this franchise throws me off. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, Halloween two, Justin, your thoughts. All right, so this is one that I loved a lot more growing up, and I still enjoy. It's number four, but it has been taken down a few pegs. What I love about it is the atmosphere. Uh, I, I love the hospital setting. I think it adds a nice bit of claustrophobia, even though in the long run, I have not liked the twist that Lori was indeed Michael's sister and John Carpenter even admits he just threw it in because he felt like, well, since they're making me do this, I guess I should throw a twist in and it kind of feels like it. Um, I love like the ex showing more of the hysteria. Like I actually think this might be Blue, uh, Pleasant's best mm. performance in the regards to showing how unhinged Michael had mm. made him. Uh, because now he's like, wait, I shot him six times. And then like, of course, he's just going to go absolutely insane. And it gets comical at points. I feel bad for Ben Tramer uh, for getting killed, not just for getting killed, but for almost becoming an afterthought. Like nobody thought to go back and be like, wait a minute, we accidentally killed you know this poor kid especially when you look at his mask and it's great it goes with the hysteria but it's yeah. not as crisp it almost looks more like a halloween four blonde mask than it did michael's well that's such a heartbreaking part of the movie where they somebody says have you guys checked on benjamin tramer and you you have that afterthought of like oh this poor son of a bitch he had to get mentioned in the first movie but it's uh one thing that's always puzzled me about that is okay he's wearing the uh the same sort of mask as Michael, 
but he's wearing overalls as well. <laughs> yeah, well, it's dark, you know, it's dark. Yeah, and yeah maybe, but, honestly, but he's maybe, like in, he's in Michael the... Myers cosplay in Halloween too. <laughs> That's I true. I think this kind of gives a little bit more credence to some of my thoughts on on the, the David Gordon Green series being much more reflective of Halloween in total than just we're making Halloween one, two and three. I, I really do think a lot of replication from the emotions and thoughts in this movie were put into what even happens as simply as what we were discussing earlier. Michael conveniently finding the coveralls, conveniently finding his mask. I think a lot of this is things as, as fans you've watched over and over again in the series and they, they managed to place them in, in like Tarantino esque homages to what we're watching in this new series. And it might almost be as blatant as Tarantino, where a scene is straight ripped off. They did that a lot in the new trilogy, and it could almost be offensive to people. Oh, well, they're just ripping off the other movies, but they're trying to meld it together. I'm sticking with that defense. I'm, I'm wasting time with it, but I I think there might be a, a wee bit of credence to it. Yeah, and, to be, and I'll give you some credence there too, because there's so much in all of Gordon Green's trilogy that harkens back to all the installments. I mean, you talk about the garage, Linus, in his first one. That makes you think of the garage in uh, Halloween 4. So they're mm. always kind of doing that. So I think they might have been doing not just like little nods. I think maybe doing a little bit more. Uh, but to, to Halloween 2's case, um, they're definitely trying to keep up with the tr tr trends of the, the slasher yeah. times, early 80s. Michael, like, because the first one's so visceral and just kind of to the point with like just generic kills and this one he's like drowning a guy in a hot tub which i don't think it should ever be able to get that hot but you know maybe his hand never also, gets hurt yeah. that's the thing that yeah, really that's the other thing. Me, how does but... his hand not like because i think that would have been cool like okay he's still evil and he doesn't feel anything but like he should have had like a mutated mm. hand for the rest of the movie it burned it <laughs> done something or at least used an object like a tong to push them down <laughs> something to give us the the humanity <laughs> Like, there's no humanity to Michael in this movie, no. and that's the weird thing of, like, well, what the fuck? How is he so evil? <laughs> He's much more evil than the last version. Yeah, which is very true, like, and it's still doing the same night. So, and that's where, on Pond Revisits, it doesn't hold up as well as I recalled, but I do think Rosenthal does a really good job of, in a way, trying to replicate john carpenter's uh sense of like atmosphere and style while still kind of giving it its own slasher bent like closer to what you would see from a friday 13th or some of the halloween knockoffs like he knows you're alone uh, i i just love the atmosphere of this one and linus you had mentioned with halloween 4 it's just one of those ones that's kind mm. of fun there's something that i just i love that hollow the, the hospital setting i love the claustrophobia that comes from this i love loomis going very almost Six insane times six times and then just how crazy it gets with which it's even funnier when you have to retcon the fact that both and spoiler alert both michael and loom is somehow <laughs> survived that gigantic explosion but if this was its own standalone i'm like yeah if you've got to do the sequel one up the movie like it almost felt like all right we're being definitive mm. and that's also why i feel to go back to green why they do the the fire yeah totally, that totally it's just like totally. halloween too so it's it doesn't hold up as well as I remember, but it is still a very fun film that has a lot of atmosphere to it that I feel carries it. Also, a very I think this one had didn't have like a blink and you miss it, Dana Carvey. It does. 
Uh, <laughs> Garth does appear in it. I think this was the first Halloween ends though that they they went all out and were like, "Fuck it, we're gonna kill Michael Myers. We're gonna kill Loomis. There's no way." They'll ever make another movie again. We're going to kill these characters. And they, at the time, did it in the most definitive way to set it up as this is over the top. We're wasting everyone. It's going to be ultra violent. And then, I mean, the end of that movie, it's not just like an oxygen tank. Like, like Lori and Loomis open up ether tanks. There's some oxygen tanks. Like, 30 tanks go up. The whole hospital, the grounds would have just been eviscerated off of the earth. And then you move into Halloween 4, and you've got the, the moving burn on... Dr. Loomis and Michael sometimes looks hurt. It has no, it really seems to me that the continuity is bafflingly lost that this was the first time where it's like, fuck it, we don't want to do this. And Tommy Lee Wallace's next film is, is ever more proof of that, that we had to kill him. This is Halloween Ends in, in 1982. Let's make the character as over the top. And so much is encompassed in kills with that, of how violent and how vile and evil Michael Myers is, how how murderous his killings actually are. There is no holds bar in this movie. Everything seems personal. Everything is very, very evil. All these kills are uh like like something you'd assume the Cenobites would do. They almost are thought out, even burning the chick. He stood and he watched this. He he calculated how this was going to happen. And then it all accumulates with him dying and and Dr. Loomis dying there's no way that there was thought like we're going to keep the longevity of the series. This is where it ended the very first time. Yeah. Um, the one kill that never quite made sense to me was the, uh, the killing of uh, the female doctor um, where he's like hooked her up to an IV and drained her blood. Just, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's very much it's, like it's, it's not in line at all with like Michael or what they set up before. Well, how it's, could the guy walk in the room and not see the blood, then trip on the blood afterward? Uh, is always what's gotten me. Of like, wouldn't the pool have been there? How would you have not seen this when you walked in? That she and I don't know, but yeah, that really makes it seem like he has had some intricate study of being an IV yeah, nurse. Or, or, it's, or, it's, yeah, know, like Michael know. has a lot of talents. I don't know what they're doing up at Smithsboro. Yeah. But this guy is again talented. Smith Grove I, sounds better than a, any technical school you could go to. Like I would love to go there. They teach you how to drive multiple vehicles, race cars, big ribs. You can you can turn and do IV studies. You could probably get your nursing at Smith's Grove twice as cheap as you could anywhere else in the United States. It's it's like a play school for fun. And there's a lot of Michael's deaths are deaths. A lot of Michael's murders, especially throughout Halloween too. They they take more than, than what you would assume a six-year-old could do. I mean, taking driving aside, he can, like, why can why does he know how a hot tub works? Why is that even a part of Michael's, like, mythos? Like, no, yeah, of course he knows what's hot and cold. He was six years old when he got sent away in 1963. <laughs> how fucking well was his uh, knowledge of household equipment at that time period? What does his father Smith's do? Groove, man, that hot tub yeah. they had to decompress. Loomis is just hanging out in a hot tub with the uh... every therapy <laughs> session on Thursdays. We're in the hot tub. Like that's it's, just the it's thing. probably another cut scene of Loomis being. I told them the Smith's Grove spa was a mistake. Uh, He's been like working out every week. It's like, God damn, you guys have set this up for failure. You had pumpkin carving classes. You never should have given him that nursing course. <laughs> The real evil here is that evil just infects people who are very talented and 
hinders their talents. Michael Myers could have yeah. been a wonderkin if he never he's, got sucked into He's evil. like an evil buckaroo banzai. <laughs> Why did they have no art courses or knitting or anything productive at Smith's Grove? Put fucking some, some paints and an easel in front of him, the next Monet. No, they just taught him how to kill and stab people. And it, it's it's that's part of the problem with Halloween 2 is... And I don't know how to say it that doesn't sound offensive, but the education level of Michael Myers, a six-year-old sociopath that would not speak, uh, would not deal with anyone, suddenly can do all of this shit. He wa- And there's a scene where he's just trucking to the hospital and there's a, a clear-cut sign in the middle of Haddonfield that says hospital this way. What fucking town is that? Where, <laughs> where is any sort of, like, it's it's all laid out through how, like, oh, he just has to follow this Candyland-ass line of getting to where he needs to go and it, it it's just kind of laughable of how they've connected these two movies and I had it pretty pretty low ranked on my list and I, I thought it would be a little controversial because I my personal thing is I fucking think it's stupid making them related it really strips away the absolute fear like He's just some incel guy that can't get over the one girl that got away, and it's his sister. Like, this is some weird Arkansas story. I, I don't know how to relate to this. The, this being absolute evil, following the the path of murder, and, and the, the letdown everyone had with Sartain, I certainly think is understandable. But if he... And we discussed this with Halloween Ends on Watch Skip Plus... If you're told you're you're something for so long, and and Linus brought this up, I think it's really apt. Why wouldn't you eventually believe it? Halloween Two has no believability with Michael being evil, but the David Gordon Green series, it seems like that is something we've uncovered on this episode. Is maybe a lot of the gist of that movie is he's following what he's fucking been told to do, as to where Halloween Two, nineteen eighty two, he's. He's really obsessed with his sister, but why the fuck do I care? Like, there's no reason for it, and that kind of gives me... It's not a shock, but it gives me a, a lot of hate for this movie. I don't care. I don't. Why do you hate your sister so much? She was a baby. She was an infant. There's no connective tissue as to what Michael's thoughts are, and I need it at this point. Yeah, um, but, you know... I, I I was always like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like this film's fine. Like, I mean, like, does it matter? Like, it's I I'm going yeah. off the deep end on shit that I. Well, don't think well, well, well I mean, um, I mean, if she is his sister, then how does he find it? Her, like, you know. Yeah, like how does he know? It's, unless well, Loomis that's something him. we didn't bring up with with the Rob Zombie films is how he didn't even see the book. How would he know that Angel's his sister and know where the fuck she lives? That he just kind of. No. Well, yeah, the the one of the reasons for that is we forgot the first Rob Zombie film as well. Well, no, we actually have not um, because we were going to do that because that was Jose's oh, number shit. two. Why That's is? why. <laughs> oh my god! No, we already said that one, didn't we? <laughs> I thought we did a one and two, but it might have just been my my statements last. No, 40 no, no. Minutes. We just did Rob Zombie's Halloween two because we got to number two, our number yeah, twos, and that's everyone where... else had three. Um, yeah. The, the the funny thing is I put Linus in charge because I would have fucked this up twice as bad. Like I, I we would have we would have never even gotten to where we're at now. So that's <laughs> we've gotten somewhere. So what have what have we left out? Have we left? No out no no no. We're all we're all set now. 
Okay. Wait, wait. Because that's where we're going to go next. Yeah. 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 Well, okay. yeah, we have Rob Zombies, then we have Halloween 3, then we have whatever everyone's number one is. <laughs> Which I think we can all assume it's what it is. <laughs> There's so um, much left, but I mean, I think we're all yeah. in one clean, clean spot here. Yeah. yeah. And I'll just give Jose's thoughts quick then yeah. on Halloween 2. Uh, he just said, not so much a movie as a one location set thriller, Alec Carpenter's own assault on precinct thing. Precinct 13, only with the shape. This one feels rote by the numbers and rather scant on good film morsels. But for the legacy of being a sequel to the original and the presence of Hotties Lance, Guest, and Leo Rossi, Man Cakes Baby, it's just okay. Points deducted for the horrible fright wig Curtis is saddled with the entire film. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with any of that, but I, I don't know. Like, it's, it, it, it's, it's high for nostalgia for me. Like, um, it, same. It, it, it's, it, uh, I mean, it's a perfectly fine sequel. It captures some of the same feel as Carpenter's movie. You got Dean Cundy doing the cinematography and it looks nice. The score is great. Um, some of the set pieces are good. Um, the, the sister stuff is dodgy, as we've said. Um, but yeah, I I like the way it starts and I like the way it ends and there's and the atmosphere throughout is, is pretty cool. It's I mean it it suffers from a common sequel problem is that there's no setup, it just carries on, same as uh Halloween kills from where the previous movie left off. Uh which is uh something that Rob Zombies uh Halloween two doesn't do, interestingly. Yeah, it subverts. It makes you think it's going to and yeah. then doesn't. Yeah, yeah. So uh I think my biggest thing for Halloween 2 is a few years ago, I was living in Florida, and I got to go to Halloween Horror Nights in Orlando and did the the Halloween 2 maze or haunted house or whatever it was. And that's most of my love for this movie is I got to walk through Haddonfield and the hospital, and they, they always have it set up amazingly and was probably my biggest thing that I love when I think of this movie, and then I watch the movie, and it's like, eh. Well, <laughs> Dana Carvey. <laughs> Does he pop up at Halloween Horror Nights? Is he just chilling over to the side? Like, hey. It should be him working there all year. It was pretty cool. I mean, it starts off as as you're leaving Haddonfield and you get to walk through all the backyards and then you walk into the hospital and the rest of the maze is, you know, Michael Myers people jumping out at you and it, it's set up as a as a pretty cool set. But I you know, that's I guess an insult to the movie, but I'd, Halloween 2 never did anything for me. I don't like how mean it is, but oddly, I like how mean Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 is. So there's definitely some lies I'm telling <laughs> at some point. Or maybe just show. Rob Zombie's movies made you feel that meanness, and mm. this one just kind of yeah, didn't. I, well, it's, uh, Terrifier was brought up, and I admittedly haven't seen Terrifier or Terrifier 2, but I've seen All Hallows' Eve, and I found it to be especially mean and mean-spirited and and more violence for the sake of violence. And I think that's what carries over with Halloween 2 is, sure, there's some story being told, but I think it's more mean-spirited violence being committed for no reason. And I just, I don't have any enjoyment out of that. I, I It sounds tanky, but I have to have some sort of story with my death. I don't enjoy watching people die. I, don't, I mean, I love horror movies, so yeah, I want to see someone's head get cut off and blood splur- spurt out, but I don't actually want to see somebody die. I need there to be a balance between reality and why is this character dying. And it, uh, Halloween 2 just doesn't offer it for me. They're just people dying. Yeah. Some of them are, are tropes and stereotypes and characters, but they don't stand for anything. 
and I guess I want to I want to feel something. Mm. And that does sound a little sociopathic that I have to watch a movie to feel something, but I want to feel something out of the death I'm watching, I guess. Mm. Well, I mean, most sociopaths don't say they want to feel something, yeah. so I think you're safe. <laughs> I'm covered. It's just psychopathic. That's... I'm good. I'm fine. <laughs> right. It's 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 the common psychopath. I, I think we're fine. Well, it, somewhere in all that, there's a transition into Rob Zombie's Halloween because uh, mm-hmm. because uh, you do feel something in uh, <laughs> in in the kills in this movie, I think, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, but. But opposite to Hank, uh, Harry, sorry. <laughs> I, uh, uh, yeah, Not technically the same guy, but it might be the same guy. Oh, well, let's, let's save that for the sequel. Um, but yeah, um, if anything, with, uh, with Zombies uh, Halloween, I feel a bit too much in the kills, and it sullies my enjoyment. What, what you got, Justin? Uh, so this is another one that's kind of been bouncing all over and it's kind of in the middle now for me. I actually did like this one when it first came out to a degree, saw it with my, my dad and I, cause we loved horror movies. We went and saw it. Um, my initial issues with it and it's one that I've softened is I would rather not know what made evil evil. So to the point of, we don't like, you know, Lori being his sibling because that gives it a reason. I felt like Rob went too hard on the horrible upbringing and all that. It was just a little bit heavy handed, but I've softened on that because that was me also putting like my, well, I don't want to see that. And knowing that's what he's doing, it's still heavy handed, but I like it because it gives him his own vision. And that's also the spots that I like, like that first hour where it's Mm. seeing his family, seeing everything with him and then him slowly going insane. The the back half is fine, but it does definitely just feel like the first one done on a much more grisly level. Mm. Uh, I like even seeing like Danny Trejo is the one that kind of took to Michael, but then like when the evil takes over, he's still like, it's kind of heartbreaking when like Danny Trejo. I was good to you, Mikey. Yeah. 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 So it, it is a, and it's funny because on rewatches, I and many other people always rag on his sequel, Rob Zombie's sequel, as being aggressively a Rob Zombie movie. But so is this one. It's just as filled with as many F-bombs and his style and that. But I think I, I think that since there's such a psychological bent to it, especially in his, I think it's his director's cut, if I'm getting mixed up, where you get a little bit more with Malcolm McDowell's Loomis, which I feel like people overlook just because the presence of you know having to replace donald pleasance i like his loomis and i like the fact that he is trying so hard to reach michael and there's a scene where like he's pleading with michael like hey if you do not like reach me and talk to me and we try to work this they're gonna take you away from me i can't help you and like michael is unresponsive and like you could see that spot where loomis just kind of breaks down and when he's like walking to his car and looks back and has this like pain i'm like i like that i like seeing a little bit more and that's where i'm more receptive to seeing michael's past because we also got to see a bit more of loomis and what drove him um i like that it has rob zombie's own style even though i still believe it feels like rob wanted to remake texas chainsaw massacre instead because that's kind of what the vibe you get with devil's rejects but that was already done so like well here's halloween he's like all right i'll do halloween (laughs) but i'm still gonna do it kind of like a texas chainsaw remake because this very much feels like devil's rejects by way of halloween and it's gives it its own vision um but 
again, great performances though. Daniel Harris is wonderful. Brad Duras fun. Scout Taylor Compton, I think is wonderful in this. She's uh, just uh, wonderful. Yeah, I think she is just terrific. Um, so yeah, I, I've softened on it, and uh, I, I I think I'm kind of back to where I first was when I first saw it. Of like, you know what? I kind of like where where Rob was taking this, and so. I hated it when it came out just as as general principles of I'm an edgy horror guy and I can't have any respect for Rob Zombie. And then I watched it years later with that guard down and was like, what the fuck was wrong with me? This is actually a really enjoyable movie. But what I hate most about it is the little white trash Michael Myers stuff. I, I love <laughs> the animosity, the unknown factor of, of Michael Myers. He just did it. I So, yeah, his stepdad sucked. I mean, he it, it was a, a great performance. I love William Forsyth. It was shocking seeing him playing somebody so foul and so offensive. Sherry Moon is very sympathetic. But, you know, Judith picks on me. He They showed signs of him being a sociopath and, and killing his, his pets and things like that. And it seemed so quick to me. Just let's shove this in there. He's a little fucked up kid. We got a cool scene with Richard Lynch. I don't know if that's the director's cut or the regular scene, but it is one of the final performances with Richard yeah. Lynch. I think it might be cut, but yeah, it's kind of hard because they really do like flow together. I, I think he might be in like a quarter of a scene and the regular cut. And then he actually has a scene and the director's cut. And regardless, it's, it's long, it's less than 15 seconds. Uh, and then you immediately have Michael Myers killing the kid from spy kids, just beating the fuck out of him <laughs> and, and beats him to death. And then it's Halloween night. His mom's a stripper. It's just so heavy on the Rob zombie. And mm -hmm. we brought this up on Watch Skip Plus, but it's not like he grew up in Alabama. Like, he's yeah. he's from the North. He has this deep fascination with hicks, hillbillies. I, I've grown up in the South my whole life, so I have no shame talking poorly about the people of the hills. But he really loves focusing on, like, dirty fucking Johnny Knoxville characters. Like, if you ever seen the Wild and Wonderful Whites of West Virginia documentary, he, he focuses on this really toothless meth addicted everyone lives in a trailer park in the south sort of thing and i could have done without that with michael myers it works with his other films i love how gritty and filthy and it's supposed to be you know like the texas chainsaw massacre with the, the house of a thousand corpses it's like eaten alive this unknown backwoods environment but with halloween we all know it's haddonfield and it doesn't matter if you want it to be in illinois or not it's just sort of an any town usa it's got normal city streets it's the it's just the epitome of a small town and it, it where, where is it taking place in that we move from the trailer park to the strip club? I don't have an identity with this town and it seems like it's much more of, and, and it is what it, it is his universe. It's Rob Zombie's Halloween, but it's so soaked in Rob Zombie's, uh, you could almost sing the, 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 the movie as if it was a white zombie song. You know, something's going on and it's Michael Myers and his mom's wearing a thong. You could just like break. <laughs> 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 it's, you could just kind of hum it out kind I of. I could hear it actually. Yeah. And it's not bad. Like, I don't hate it for that. But at the same time, it's just so in my face. And it's, mm. I've not seen the monsters, but from, from reviews I've seen of people and what they don't like about it is he he layered on the schlock and the 1960s aspect and he made it very very tv very based on have you watched the actual monsters and you're not going to enjoy it unless you're a fan of that sort of schlock and shtick and i think something similar with halloween is he just really layered on 
this is the era. This is he he managed to take so many Grindhouse and Forty Second Street and schlock movies from the era Halloween came out in and melded it into one thing. But it's so heavy, and I like mm. it. I I gave this a pretty high rating, but man, it's really. It's it's a Rob Zombie film. Yeah, and agreed. That's, that's why on Palm revisits, I'm like, man, I can't be as harsh on Halloween too because the first one was just as heavy, if not more so, of being a Rob Zombie movie. And, and I think I'm more forgiving now because I hated the same thing that you did. I did not like the. I thought it was just too pat that like, oh, of course he came from abused home and all that. Mm. But I think the reason I'm a little bit softer on it, even though some of those elements I still don't like, is just because. Once we get to him being in the asylum, then I kind of like it. So oh, maybe yeah, grown up Michael just... Tyler Maine is amazing. Oh, he it's is just... fantastic. He has such great presence. The, and and it goes so swiftly that you finally have a sequence where it's it's Tyler Maine as Michael, and he still has on this this childlike slippers. He's got the childlike mask on, and he's sitting. And it's the senior discussing where Loomis is pleading with him. I can't do anything more for you, but this hulking shape of Tyler Maine is terrifying and mm. it looks so great. Every, every single shot. And I, that's one thing I appreciate deeply about Rob Zombie's Halloween two is even without the mask, Tyler Maine's face is mostly covered in shadows. He has this huge beard. He, he is so suitable. He manages to have no emotion on his face. And, and that guy is not, some stone cold sociopath. He's a wonderful human being and he carries this character. Like it's, it's true. Like it's him. It's, it's a great performance. Yeah. I think I said earlier in when we were talking about Halloween too, that um, there's not a lot of suspense in, uh, in the, the, the murder set pieces, but, but he is fucking terrifying. There's no suspense because he doesn't, he doesn't creep around so much. He just barges into a, into a situation and um, just tears the shit out of people and it's horrifying when he kills Ken Foray and gets his trademark uh, jumpsuit and boots that's one of the most disgusting and painful scenes and there's no knife involved he just slams the guy's head repeatedly into a bathroom stall and I think everyone has at least at one point been in, in, a, in a public restroom and had that fear of someone opening the stall, which is used really aptly in Halloween H2O, a great scene in that movie, but still you can relate to how thin those walls are. Imagine your head being slammed into it. It's grisly. Oh, yeah, and, and repeated it again in uh, 2018. Yeah, yeah. first, yeah. Uh, so, And that, again, furthers my proof that I think the, the David Gordon Green trilogy is, is almost complete homages to all the other movies yeah, just shoved together. It's full of fan service. Like not in a bad way. It's uh, you yeah, know they they, they know their audience. Um, like my uh, I, I, uh, like you, Harry. I I I didn't like this when it came out, just because why would you remake Halloween? But then you know that's kind of silly because. Yeah, I was like, oh God, I, I was just getting out of, of high school at this point in time. So for me, so much of it was a lot of ultimate horror fan bravado. Like I'd seen the beyond, so I knew what <laughs> horror was. You can't remake a hollow. But it, it's it's a lot of the discussion we've had on this on this episode is looking back and 
looking deeply at all of these movies, some of the ones before Rob Zombie's movies are just ridiculous mm. and they're not they're not really that enjoyable. And I think the shock with Rob Zombie and why so many people didn't like it was because it was simply titled as a remake. Yeah. And in the early 2000s, mid-2000s especially, there was a, a, a much heavier wave of anti-remake-ism. Uh, that's not a real term, but yeah, yeah. then there is now. <laughs> I'll call it anti-remake-ism, but people just would not accept to the fact, like, I'm not going to watch this remake. And I'm not saying all of them are good. I think the Texas Chainsaw remakes are are, are terrible. But... I can still spend two hours talking about them. There's a lot I like about them, but I'm a big Toby Hooper fan, and uh, no one at that time period was willing to go, there's some good in these movies. It was, fuck it, it's a remake. I'm not going to watch it. And I think Rob Zombie's films really got lost in that of, I'm not going to, it's a Halloween remake. I'm not going to watch it. Yeah, but it's remaking a series that's literally remade itself like nine times already. It doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Nothing's sacred. Let's just do it. And he managed to do something. (laughs) Yeah. I I think the big thing that we're all, we're hitting here is it's a, it's a retrospective look years later. You come back and you realize, holy shit, this works. Yeah. This is even the white horse. This isn't that dumb. And it is. It's kind of fucking stupid, but it works for what it's presented in that universe. I know I said this on Watch Skip Plus, but the the Michael Myers in that series is very different than any other Michael Myers and mm. what uh Justin has been bringing up, what I don't like about the movie, that introduction allows us to see this person was something different. And we don't know if it was abuse because of his stepdad or we don't even really know that universe. We get a glimpse that this person had a soul, quote unquote, or good inside of them before they fell from grace. You know, like um, Paradise Lost, like he's a Lucifer style character that fell from the love of God and is trying to regain that love, but the love of God is the love of his mother. And in Halloween 2, that's the whole white horse thing, but that's some John Milton shit. <laughs> that's 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 a little deep. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, you, you basically took the next point I was going to make, which is uh, like, I'm like, sorry. No, no, it's fine, man. Like, uh, like the the fact that this was a remake um, doesn't, you know, it doesn't really matter because, as you said, this 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 all of the sequels are just basically like a series of remakes, a series of inferior remakes, anyway. Um, I, I I had less of a problem on a rewatch with the slight, well, backstory rather than explanation given to Michael, because, I mean, his home life is a little bit shitty and he gets bullied a bit, but he's already like like killing animals and stuff, so you you get the feeling that it's you know he's not evil personified like he is in all the other movies, but it's this kind of time bomb and there's a sort of inevitability to it. And, uh, I don't think maybe, uh, zombie was trying to explain his behavior. He, he was just trying to set him within his, uh, Rob zombie universe. An excuse for Rob zombie isms. Yeah, exactly. And, and, And my, my major problem with it, why it, rates uh i mean this has gone up and down a bit for me as well i and overall i do quite like it but um uh what really doesn't work for me is the use of the halloween score because um and and this is a kind of inverse of um 
I've heard Carpenter say that um, when they first tested the original Halloween, um, it played a lot better when they added the score. I think the score here like really detracts from it because, like I said, with Halloween 2, there's not a lot of suspense. It's just the, the, in the horror scenes are just brutal violence. You, you're not anticipating the terrible thing that's going to happen the terrible things just happen and you just you'd have to endure it it's so yeah that's kind of odds with this um very tense um uh soundtrack from the original movie which they've imported into this i personally feel with a rob zombie film that it would have been more productive for him to have done his own interpretation of of Alan Howarth and Rob Zombie's music, or Rob Zombie's, John Carpenter's music in general. Just, I mean, it's Rob Zombie. You would have thought there would have been some really funky, um, moaning different stuff. I mean, The House of a Thousand Corpses, I know I referenced earlier, but that movie's all original soundtrack, I think, is a really driving force that each scene is led forward by his own music that tells what like pussy liquor pretty much tells the scene of what's exactly going to happen in that following scene. And it works for the benefit of the film. I think it's actually really complimentary and lacking. I think a lot of Rob zombie, despite this movie being heavy on the Rob zombie, in fact, lacks some Rob zombie at the same time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and like we, like I said earlier with, with two, that doesn't have that issue. And I think is all, all, all the better for it. Um, I also think is weird too is like in this this watch like sometimes the implementation of the classic Halloween score doesn't make a lick of sense mm-hmm. like it starts up when like when he's a kid and he's kind of walking yep. like out after his mother gets called in but it's not building to him snapping on the Spy Kids kid because we're not quite mm-hmm. there yet and it just feels like we have this here because we have to have it here and yeah it just doesn't it doesn't fit mm. And it does build up. You're like, da-da-da-da-da-da, all right, we're getting to some shit. Da-da-da-da-da-da, he's going to kill somebody. And then he, like, goes to class. Like, yeah, nothing, exactly. it, it just so drops weird. you. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, well, you just wasted the da-da-da-da-da-da. Like, you have to really do something. <laughs> and it, it does have such a valuable place throughout the series when that finally hits. And then you have things like Laurie Strode's theme and some of the other trademark synth scores that play and they give you that pacing of Michael's near Michael's coming something bad is about to happen but when the trademark theme plays that's full on Michael he can't just walk to school with that theme <laughs> you have to mm. express something exactly um, I will we'll, we'll segue though into uh, Jose's views because mm. you had mentioned we, we talked a lot about this being a remake that's where Jose seems to like this a lot mm. Because uh, he had said, while well, zombies, what's under the skin approach and efforts to explain everyone's feelings and motivations rubbed peeps the wrong way. One need only witness the bizarre freeze frame tableau at the beginning to understand that this version of Halloween ramps up the grindhouse visceral horror narrative with simplicity to not only connect the dots between Myers's primal violent instincts and behavior, but also coherently manages to streamline the sibling angle that took Carp two films to work out to this day still extremely upsetting to watch as if john carter cart rabies and reshot his original <laughs> during his hallucinatory death now which sounds like a backhanded compliment but knowing jose that is the ultimate compliment i think that's spot on 
Uh, and yeah, I know. that that uh, we should have just read that first. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm yeah. kind of looking at this. I'm like, damn, he kind of captured everything pretty perfectly. Yeah, about and... 45 minutes worth of our time could have been summed up with that beautifully and eloquent <laughs> statement by Jose. Yeah, 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 but still, number two, it's uh, yeah, yeah. He, he respects the 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 complete change, which I can now that I've softened can also respect because if you're gonna do a remake. And like Harry said, the series has remade itself multiple times. Mm. People seemingly are accepting of a remake if you put a number behind it and pretend like it's not a remake. <laughs> but like, show us something different. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I ended up not liking the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. I actually liked Jackie Hurl Haley in that. Mm. And I liked when they're like, oh, here's some micro naps and cool stuff. But then like, ah, forget all of that. We're just going to retreat the same shit we did in some of the other movies. But it's not going to make as much sense or impact this time around. Like, do something different if you're going to take the same blueprint. And to Zombie's credit, I feel he made it a Rob Zombie movie and that stands out. That's something Samurai said from uh, the the gentleman's. How am I going to say it wrong? The the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema. That's it. There oh, we go. You got it. But he had brought up uh, the Andy Milligan aspect of things, as as Rob Zombie's somewhat of an Andy Milligan filmmaker of our time period. But one thing I can say about Andy Milligan is that he didn't. I'm sure, in some sense of his his self, he cared about what he was doing. But he mostly went out and was making a movie and a product and he had bills to pay when Rob Zombie steps out of the gate and he makes something there, no matter what is a great deal of creativity and, and creationism put into that. And I don't mean, you know, if you pray the pain away creationism, but actual putting create, create, creating your, your product, no matter what he does. And again, I've not seen the monsters, but the more hate I see on that movie, the more I think this is going to be splendid. This is going to be the ideal monsters movie, but it comes from the point of, you got to look at Rob Zombie as an artist. This guy has been built from day one to make the monsters movie. This is the type of thing he excels at, but every single one of his films manages to have something incredibly unique. And one of the biggest things I hate about the devil's rejects is it, it's just kind of boring Charles Manson mythos breeze spit out, but he managed to make it twice as horrifying as the Manson murders with Halloween. He gave a reinvention of Michael Myers and made this character terrifying again. And a lot of people's disliking for the series could because could be because they're afraid of what Michael represents now. And that's wonderful. I think Rob Zombie has so much more to offer than someone like Andy Milligan because he has made his own trademark. Andy Milligan just made bad movies. Rob Zombie, no matter you could tell his movies a mile away. You will always know you're watching a Rob Zombie movie, and for better or worse, how many of us can have a trademark? It's pretty impressive. Yeah, I don't get the impression that um well slight caveat now. Um I've not seen I've not seen thirty one. But everything else that he's done seems like the movie that he said had to make. He's a horror director by day and a rock star by night. I think all of us would want to be him. Married to a former stripper who he puts in all of his... It just keeps getting better. <laughs> better and better and better. Like, you can't really get past <laughs> Rob Zombie. He's living the absolute dream. And and it it doesn't come down to any judgment. You can hate his movies all you want to. I don't like a lot of them, but he's doing it he's really going out there and making this weird psychotronic 1960s 70s lost era alive again and that's kind of beautiful so now after this long-winded rob zombie segment are i think we're on to 
the the most challenging part of the show. Mm-hmm. Halloween three. We have Halloween three now. Yeah, the the yes. Halloween three, not <laughs> David Gordon Green's Halloween three, which I'm sure I'm going to bring up a lot because there's some comparisons here. But this is the most decisive movie I think between all horror fans. The the legendary, the almighty Joe Bob Briggs. He refuses to show this on the the last drive, and he hates this movie. He <laughs> brings it up constantly. Everyone's beloved Darcy, the male girl. She <laughs> loves this film. I'm a, I'm on Darcy's side with this one. I think this is. It's a hard movie to discuss because I don't. My original list didn't include this. And when I am doing a Halloween list, I don't like to include this because it's 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 Halloween, but is it? And what it has to offer has nothing in comparison with everything we've already been discussing because this completely refreshes the series that Tommy Lee Wallace, longtime John Carpenter stan, I guess you could say, that's what the kids say, worked with Carpenter for many years, um, I, I believe was on his crew when he won a Academy Award as a student at UCLA when he's 18 years old and had been with him for a long time. He got voted to do this production, and the idea behind it was, let's make a Halloween movie that follows the idea of something terrifying happening on Halloween, but let's get rid of Michael Myers. He's dead. We don't need that. And when it came out, people balked. They hated it. They hate it to this day. This was beyond... I wanted to make this my number one, but I thought that would be too insulting to the actual work of John Carpenter. I look forward to this the most when I'm going to watch Halloween movies, when October rolls around, this is what I want to watch. And it, 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 it is the concept of something terrifying happening on Halloween. Michael Myers is great, but his story was told with the first movie. Halloween 3 allows us to move into... The world is evil, and I mean, like, David Gordon Green brings this up in in kills and usage of the mask and stuff like that, but evil dies tonight. All of this, I think, can be almost centralized to the awful powers of Halloween 3, of what these people are doing, this mind control, this mask stuff. Everything turns out to be an homage from this movie from this point on for me. Yeah, I mean, th- this was my number one, but then I, I, I started this rewatch and I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, you know. Like, I, I just <laughs> felt improper. You know, like, I can't put this before Halloween. Something feels fucked up about that. Uh, yeah, well, we'll get on to the reasons f- for that later, I suppose. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, th- this is the Halloweeniest Halloween. It's like, I'll, I'll watch this twice every October at least. It's. Uh, it's the most uh, appropriately atmospheric to the season, I feel. Um. I think the funny thing is one of the most atmospheric scenes of this movie is that, that shot that is toward the end of the movie where the Silver Shamrock timeline has already started happening and people are getting infected by it. And there's a shot of these three children coming down a, a little ridge mm. mountain line that's supposed to take place in Arizona. And the, the most beautiful shot of this movie is a state where there's no falling leaves, no no 60, 60 to 30 degree weather, nothing's getting cool. And that that's even one of the posters for the movie and one of the big trademarks is that, that singular shot. And the movie takes place in, what, Northern California? Not really an autumnal place whatsoever, but it it manages with monsters and ghosts and mythicism to carry what you expect out of Halloween. It feels like late-night TV every time you watch it. Yeah, but for me, I don't know, it's just when when the score kicks in. But, 
that low drone from uh, Carpenter or Howard's Profit Five. <laughs> like, uh, it, that's that. There's a lot of power just just through the sounds, regardless of the sometimes nonsensical stuff that's happening on screen. So what I love about Halloween three and its reception is it's on a, the way that it's been re-embraced kind of mirrors me accepting it because we would have done this when well when I was a teenager. Uh, this would have been the worst one because it doesn't have Michael Myers, which is stupid. Uh, but when I tried to reassess it at first, I still wasn't quite on board with this, like maybe a decade and a half ago, because I still thought, well, it's kind of cheesy in that. But then it clicked with me what it was going for. Also, my shifting enjoyment. Like you both said, this is the Halloweeniest Halloween movie. Uh, as much as I love this franchise, most of them really don't have a Halloween vibe to them. They just happen to take place on Halloween. This one exists because of Halloween. Everything is centered around the history of Halloween, Samhain, uh, the way just capturing like kids trick-or-treating, how the whole town feels. It's just such a joy. And this is something that understands what it is. Like it wants to be a, a cheesy, but not overtly cheesy, kind of fun, almost like a Twilight Zone, maybe not on that level, where you have these terrific performers where like they know when to chew the scenery, but they know when to pull back and still be serious or a little creepy. And I love that we are at a spot now where it used to be if you try, if there were people who defended this, my uh, cousin's husband used to be a defender of this. And he said for the longest time was if you tried to defend it, people would just slag you off because they're like, how can you like the one without Michael? Now we're getting into the opposite. Harry brought up the last drive in. Like there's the backlash now that <laughs> Joe Bob Briggs isn't accepting this and he still hates it, where it's almost like saying you don't like it would get the instead of applause, the visceral reaction, I'm like, come on, it's just because it doesn't have Michael. And this is just such a fun movie. Like Lion said, this is becoming one that I look forward to watching each year if I get a chance because it's just so atmospheric. The performances are great. The concept is really cool and creepy too, if you really think about mm -hmm. it, like trying to kill all these kids. Yes, if you try to go, like none of the time zones make sense. If they're all watching this, if it's supposed to happen at midnight, well, it's only midnight one area, but you kind of <laughs> just go with it. Yeah, it, it, I love this film. It's it's like Gremlins. Like don't mm -hmm. don't don't think too hard about the rules. <laughs> it's, uh... Exactly. It's <laughs> I mean, honestly at this point in this last rewatch I did of it, I could easily just go, well, okay, maybe we said midnight just because like we always talk. I think people, I still do it even though I work uh, remote with people in different time zones. I still talk in my time zone. Mm. Like my belief would be this commercial is going to air at the same time all around the world, whether it's midnight, 8 yeah, p.m., yeah. 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So that's why everyone's going to, you know, just kind of die at the same time. It's just, it's so much fun. And when it gets goofy, it knows it's goofy. Hmm. It's leaning into it without going too over the top. And it's, and it is a creepy idea. Like this, uh, Cochrane is very creepy mm -hmm. in how he's very charming. I mean, he's the perfect type of uh, politician or businessman who can win you over uh, and sell you a bag of goods, even if it's garbage, because he's just so likable, but he can turn that switch and quickly snap you. I just, I love this film. I think it is just so much fun. And I never put it at number one just because of how much I love the first Halloween, but I will say it 
comfortably sits at two and I can see why some people are putting it at number one because it, it it's so radically different and I wish we would get this I still kind of wish we could just get an anthology series yeah. out of Halloween maybe we can still get it with trick-or-treat since that's getting yeah, its yeah. you know renewed interest mm-hmm. give me a series even Cloverfield I thought we were going to get something kind mm-hmm. of similar where it's like yeah they're all called Cloverfield but the connective tissue is you know how we react to weird you know tragedies sci-fi like a Twilight Zone mm-hmm. why can't a movie series be like that I 100% love this now, which if you would have told child me that who got around to this would have called you insane. But you see so many of retreats with Michael Myers where I'm like, no, I love this bombastically fresh, looks great. And it's just fun. It's got Tom Atkins in a lead. Any film that has Tom Atkins in a lead is awesome because he's amazing. Yeah. That's almost like a Halloween horror or Halloween superhero movie in that aspect. That that Tom Atkins is is completely unbelievable. He plays this doctor, but he's a doctor that has dozens of lady lovers everywhere he goes. He he's just the smoothest person of all time. Everything about this movie has a comic book feel to it, and really appeals to like an EC Comics almost creep show vibe. That it it itself. EC Comics and Creepshow being brought up like a horror anthology feeling to things and this is almost anticipatory on that that the movie starts everyone's so quick to say Michael Myers isn't in the movie but Halloween is mentioned a trailer for Halloween is played in the movie where you actually see Michael Myers so he technically exists in the movie but they they give you this universe within a universe that Halloween is just a film and you are allowed to feel fear again that the boogeyman is is and i think that's a thing that is is really imperative to halloween is the idea of the boogeyman and in this movie it carries on completely that we've replaced it with not just this idea of dead kids and and the uh, Samhain rituals are happening but colonel cochran is the boogeyman we have managed to keep that frame of reference with michael myers being terrifying as replacing it with somebody equally as evil and he fucking steals a piece of stonehenge like i still <laughs> think no matter like even the movie heat there is no more impressive heist than somebody stealing a piece of stonehenge that's still pretty cool for movie history yeah, like, it's you know fucking amazing. Fuck. Yeah, yeah the security is pretty tight around that area i've been there a few times uh like <laughs> my, my my attempts to steal bits of stonehenge have been thus far unsuccessful <laughs> never once as successful <laughs> yeah. we well, gotta offer him a mask first and like all right yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently it's... the key to stealing pieces of stonehenge is killing children that's the, <laughs> the common theme you gotta kill like several oh, thousand kids and then yeah. you can get a rock uh, are we willing to do that for a bit of stonehenge we'll we'll just no no we're not <laughs> Maybe maybe that takes a lot less child killing that I can steal. <laughs> maybe that's how we get Mona Lisa. You don't have to kill anyone. You just got to scare a couple of people, and then you can take a bit, piece of it. It's become throwing soup at it won't work. <laughs> it's it's become kind of a a podcast a cliche that this movie's been reassessed and is great, mm-hmm. but. Uh... I don't know what the, I mean, you brought that up to me the other day of like, I think we're all going to have something to say about Halloween three. And it's like, I don't know what to fucking do. I don't, I'm yeah. not trying to be trendy at this yeah. point, but I thir- and I, I've never not liked it. I I've always, I, I don't, and this makes me sound trendy, I guess I've never had a different opinion. I've always liked Halloween three more than everything else. And so now that it progressively, it's trendy for people to like it. I'm you're, you're the cool like, guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is my Donnie Darko. You know how everyone saw Donnie Darko first somehow? 
I saw that way many years before anyone else did this. I, I liked Halloween three and now it's like an embracing period of like, thanks. Watch it with me. Stop yeah. hating it. Joe Bob. Check it out. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see it. Uh, till about 12 or 13 years ago. And I think I did watch it one Halloween. Um, Cause uh, I, I'd heard, you know, growing up there, it sucked. And then, I started to hear the early inklings of uh, no, it doesn't suck. It's really good. And then, uh, then I watched it, and uh, I was like, "Fuck yeah, this is great." <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I've so bypassed the kind of having to reassess it. Really, I just kind of ignored okay. it and then experienced it. Yeah, because even with Jose putting it at number five, and we were kind of all like, "Ooh, ooh," because we have it yeah, pretty much all the way yeah, at the top. Yeah. He's still yeah. really. Well, I mean, he gave us a great write up. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, like, uh, like I said earlier, um, there's only a couple of these movies in this entire series that I think are not uh, that are out and out bad. Maybe, maybe three. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I I enjoy them all on some level, and. Uh, and five is still, you know, fairly near the top. And, and for Jose, like for with Halloween three, he said it's absolutely bonkers, eighties style, yep. scary story to tell in the dark. This entry, although Myers list, feels like an episode of Tales from the Dark Side, mm -hmm. so kind of similar to where we're at. Mm -hmm. uh, arguably introduced mysticism and the supernatural to the series, mm -hmm. maybe even planting the seed for that thorn business. But it does feature Tom Atkins, one memorable and horrific family slaughter scene, which we, I think we forgot to bring up, uh, an ending reminiscent of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and one mindless, infectious ad jingle that manages to best 100 bottles of beer on the wall as the worst countdown sing-along ever, which I have, that's one of the things I used to hate about this movie, but now I love that stupid countdown. <laughs> yeah. da, 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 da. I do it every day in October. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the, the whole soundtrack of this one is my favorite of all the, all the movies. Oh, it's so good. I, I, Alan Howard's yeah. That's my favorite thing. Yeah, I, I, I saw an Alan Howard play this live uh, one Halloween in London and uh, met him afterwards and he's a super lovely guy and uh, he sold me a uh, book of sheet music to play uh, all this all of these the, the themes from this movie even though uh, apparently uh, they kind of improvised it along to the film as they went and then he had to go and transcribe it in order to to, to have this book of sheet music to to sell me and i don't read sheet music anyway but i just i just wanted to have something you printer signs it's yeah so oh yeah and he's a he's a very lovely and very humble guy that's good yeah he's i his scores throughout are all great but this one is just and again it it invokes what you think of the halloween season having like some some weird techno to it as well but even just some like moody uh atmospheric kind of like chill in the air type soundtrack to it like i hear it and i can like you could attach some of the music in this to like any movie about a witch mm. or anything like that and it's just so fitting and i just i love it yeah so now that brings us down to to everyone's number one which i think is is gotten obvious at this point mm -hmm. all right good night everyone halloween resurrection <laughs> we we lied to you all <laughs> starting it over trick or treat motherfucker <laughs> <laughs>
So uh, yeah, no, it's Halloween. Yeah, that's a yeah. big surprise. That's <laughs> this is where the the womp 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 sound effect gets played. No, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah, cut it in. Harry. Um, so uh, so why is is Halloween the best Halloween, Justin? You know, it, it's hard now to even say why, just because who hasn't said why it is, but. To me, it's the simplicity of all of it. Like we, some of these sequels have tried so hard to explain why, uh, tying everything in. What is so terrifying about this film is that Michael is just evil. Like we know a little bit about why because of Loomis, which helps, but like he doesn't really kill nearly until the end, but like the whole setup of him just stalking everyone and imprinting and just watching, it's just so visceral and creepy. And that score, like, we rightfully, I feel, argued that maybe Rob Zombie shouldn't have used it. But I also get why he did, because there is no other score that has used such a simplistic, like, keys from a piano to just get under your skin. Dun, 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 dun. It's so iconic. And it's funny because it's what arguably started the slasher craze, at least over here in the States. You can definitely argue Jallos as being as influential, if not more so. But when you think of what most people want out of slashers, like almost what you get from Friday 13th, exaggerated kills and all this, well, that's not what this is about. This is a slasher that most slashers have forgotten of suspense matters. And like Michael's killings, like they're nothing really, you know, it's choke somebody and then stabs them against the wall is probably the most unique one, but it doesn't matter because everything leading up to it and those kills are so impactful. You have characters that are so, likable i mean jamie lee curtis rightfully gets a lot of love but so should pj soul yeah. she's wonderful in the film loomis has a gr- or pleasance has a great balance with loomis of slowly going insane but still having his shred of humanity mm-hmm. that makes him likable which is why i think it's so hard to ever accept him as being a straight-up asshole mm-hmm. Because it's just, he has this still likability. And even the goofier moments in the movie, like I always forget how goofy it seems where like Michael actually brings the tombstone in. Like the logistics of that are really weird, but like you go with it because it's just, it works so well to the atmosphere. Um, honestly, I think I'm just going to read Jose's because I feel like he summed it up really well. Go for it. Better than I'm even doing it. And he just said, it's the original and still the best. The one that yeah. arguably started the slasher and unstoppable killer craze and introduced the world to Tony Curtis and Janet Lee's daughter. Great cinematography by Dean Cundy, dripping gravitas from Donald Pleasance and some of the worst stale line reading ever from an actress, Nancy Kyes, who appears to put all the wrong emphasis on the wrong words in every sentence. Well, he might be right on that one, but that's, that part, <laughs> like I never really even think about because just everything else about this is just done so well and there is a reason that this is for a lot of people to be all end all is it is it weird and like hip not hypocritical but is it like oh of course you're gonna say this is the best one well yeah there's a reason it's not stereotypical or you don't have a unique perspective it's the best one because it's just so damn good yeah i the, I, like I, I said earlier, um, I mean, my, my, my favorite is the one I watched the most is, is three. But I mean, just rewatching this, I hadn't seen it for a couple of years. And undeniably, it's, you know, it's it's a great exercise in filmmaking. Just the, the composition of the shots are just set for like maximum suspense. 
the build towards the climax the characters are likable just everything is just on point really apart from perhaps that uh, performance that jose mentioned <laughs> i will boldly state that halloween is a ripoff and oh. my argument with that is going to bob clark's classic and that's mm-hmm. what john carpenter saw that's what he 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 wanted to make a movie that was scary based on a holiday and what he ended up making was definitively genre changing and genre defying and it 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 added so much as Justin had mentioned from the Italian aspect of things which hadn't really been embraced here that you had things like the the early Francis Ford Coppola axe slasher movie Dementia 13 but there wasn't a uh, beyond Universal monster movies, a, a great deal. I mean, there was a lot of psychotronic horror. There was a lot of filth and and uh, regionally made movies that were driving classics, but had never once come to the level that Bob Clark had come to. And John Carpenter kind of took that and stood on his coffee table with no shoes on, and and really put a mark on a a a, a, a I said it before, but a genre defying twist of what modern horror could be. And even, I mean, using Jamie Lee Curtis is one thing, but I think Psycho is exemplary Mm. with this because Psycho managed to change drastically what you could do with a horror movie, and people didn't realize you could make this psychological. It didn't just have to be scary monsters and ghosts and things that went bump in the night. And Michael Myers is really encompassing of all of that because he is all that is man and all of his terror and all of his... All of the aspects of Michael that are frightening is because he is a human being. So Carpenter took this idea, and and I say boldly, he took this this ripoff idea. I'm just gonna make this movie and created the American slasher genre while doing so. And it's it's just iconic at that point. I don't think there's any argument that you could stably have that wouldn't come out with Halloween being the greatest slasher of all time, and that's even in defense of, of Dario Argento and some of the greatest giallos and some of the most beautiful, coloristic, be- just gorgeous things you've ever seen. John Carpenter simplified it. And and one thing Justin had been nailing home is with, in my opinion, the score. It's just so timeless and classic and carries every single aspect and piece of this movie. You can't defend anything else there are so many other slasher films that might be more intense they might have more violence they might be more scary but they don't combine it all as wonderfully and terrifically as halloween does and you come from the coattails of assault on precinct thir- assault on precinct 13 which i think is is largely a proto slasher film and it has uh, a, a very western aspect this this colonel or colonel sanders jesus fucking christ this <laughs> <laughs> last stand sort of thing. It wasn't Colonel Sanders that had a last stand. Uh, Custer? Yeah, Was Colonel Custer. I kind they, of prefer Colonel Sanders last stand. <laughs> they were both colonels. I had that right. But you've got this <laughs> custard last stand sort of thing with that movie. But the shapeless form of the villains in Assault on Precinct 13 are, are the shape. We did. Michael Myers isn't a character. He's the shape. That's yeah. all he's ever been. And you move from his earlier work, I mean earlier, just a couple of years beforehand, and then into Halloween. It's just absolute terror. I think what Carpenter did was make this holiday scary, but he also made fear scary. It doesn't have to be a monster. The shape itself, he makes fear happen. 
he really is a master of horror. Yeah, it's he uh, he made negative space horror uh, scary, like. Just, yeah, I mean, just... literally, he he took nothing and and made mm. this blank. It's a fucking Shatner mask. Yeah. He made Shatner <laughs> scarier than Shatner. <laughs> yeah, because really, when you look at that mask, like without like the knowledge of the Halloween franchise, it's not scary at all. No. But like you see this film, and then you see that mask, because that was me as a kid. Like I think I might have saw this mask before I even knew of the movie, and I was like, whatever, it's a mask. But I remember catching like glimpses of this, maybe one of the sequels, but on TV as a kid before I really started getting into more older horror, like more adult horror. And I just remember like the way everything done was just so terrifying. Then the next time I saw the mask, I just I was so like chilled by it. I didn't like it. I find it shocking when you see pictures beforehand and it, it, it really shows even with, and I'm not saying Halloween's a no budget indie movie, but considerably what budgets are now compared to then they took a mask, shaved the sideburns off and opened the eye holes up a little bit and painted it. And it, it started an entire legacy for every independent filmmaker listening to this. That's how easy it is. You just have to write something terrifying. And that's what worked so well with John Carpenter's Halloween is it's a rather mundane story. Not a lot happens. And it was pointed out there aren't, it's, it's three deaths mostly throughout the movie. There's not a lot of great graphic violence. It's the idea of this fear that works so significantly. And in part being reflective upon that, that is a fault with most of, of the series is everything tried to, connect with the violence. Most Halloween sequels focus on Michael Myers killing people, and that wasn't the scary thing about Michael. It's why he killed people, and we never find that out, but it seems that it's just because he could. And that's scary. That's really fucking scary. Yeah, and like you said with uh, making him this, uh, making them related, him and Lori, like I've, the more I rewatch this and why I love Gordon Green dropping it is, giving him that reason made it less terrifying. It is scary that the only reason, you know, he's going after Lori is she was wrong place, wrong time. He imprinted because she came to the house that he was at. And sometimes that happens. I mean, in nature, it's predatory, but like some serial killers are like that. If you do investigations where it's like, they just imprint, it's not like there's an exact reasoning. It's just that's there and he does it not just to Lori does it to some of the kids and some of her friends but it's like something just snaps almost in a way and to me that's more terrifying because then like oh, I could just be out walking on the street somebody sees me and now they're obsessed like that's terrifying to me yeah um uh, this movie's so great there it's kind of a shame about the rest of the franchise that to happen <laughs> <laughs> I know it's such uh like the rest of the franchise honestly is okay if you just almost say well it's not michael and it's just its own dumb thing well maybe okay is a stretch for some of the installments but it's just it's such a chaotic franchise and i think it's because the first one and this isn't me knocking because i still love nightmare on elm street and love like friday 13th but even those like nightmare on elm street had a supernatural bent to it from the start mm -hmm. so it's easy for the sequels to go crazier with it friday 13th always was just more it was like taking the halloween template and becoming what slashers became of yeah there's some tension but it's also like the body it's count like almost making it fun yeah. And then you have something like a child's play, which maybe is one of the more consistent franchises, yeah. because again, it's like some like Freddy Krueger. It's so outlandish. Mm. Halloween started from such a simple grounded concept that a series trying to explain it becomes so convoluted. 
and it, they just some of them falter where if it wasn't a Halloween movie, maybe we wouldn't brag on some of them as much. Well, in Resurrection's case, I still think we would. But we, uh, but it's just, it's coming from something that's so simplistic and just trying to do more with it shows a lack of recognition and understanding of why this first one works so well. Yeah, uh, but you know, it could always be worse. It could be the Hellraiser franchise. Yeah, which that's one. Well, I mean, that one, it's very clear that almost all those direct video sequels did not start as Hellraiser movies. <laughs> I, I think one of the things that really drives it home for me with this entire series, and this, this will be one of my ending statements that I'm sure will, will make people annoyed, is I've watched all the Halloween movies. I, I've come to the end of Halloween Ends and David Gordon Green's trilogy. And if anything, it's made me realize John Carpenter's best movie, maybe not his best, but one of his most perfect films, it's Christine. It's a great fucking movie. That's That was my conclusion watching all of this, was I, I kind of want to go watch Christine now. I'm done with Halloween. I'm going to go watch this. And that's, I'm sure, the worst way to end a Halloween episode. But, man... Christine's a great movie. It's a- <laughs> it is. It is. I rewatched it. I think maybe last year, and I kind of want to rewatch it again. It's. It held up so much better than I remember it being. Like I think it's so easy now. We're just talking about Christine, but to go, oh, it's the weird killer car movie. But no, like it's almost a psychological horror with how the kid reacts to it, like you had said. Uh, and it, it's just, it's so well made too. I think it deeply complements Halloween Ends and and the the ends between both of those movies. It, I didn't think about it till I watched it the second time, and the more and more I thought about it, I had to go back and watch Christine and and the connect. I, I use this term a lot, but there's a connective tissue between these two things, and I think it's the story of Christine, almost superimposed with Halloween, of what happens with the Arnie Cunningham character and his obsession, his need to be loved, and it's something within all of us, and it was pointed out on Watch Skip Plus, there is some graffiti in Halloween Ends that says, love begins tonight, or something like that, and there is a a hope that I don't think ever was experienced before with a Halloween film, as it was in Halloween Ends, that there's a hope that evil can actually die, but it's not some chant or red hat that people can wear and John Carpenter's first film the perfection with it is the evil doesn't have an embodiment it didn't need to be political it was just evil and that was terrifying and always will be and it will always remain terrifying even if Michael didn't have the mask just some shapeless form the fact that he's called the shape it's 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 so much more effective to me the only thing that could even stand on the same toes is Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That mm-hmm. that movie has its own realism and absolute horror based on on these people being real, and but they're so separate you can't really compare the two, but yeah. equally but, toe and toe. But actually, I, th- I think you're on the money there too because that's another franchise where I feel like a lot of those sequels in it's a very Did sketchy watch franchise the first movie. Yeah, but it's just like you have something that the first one is so grounded in reality and its interpretation that it's weird trying to see anything else either explain or replicate it like there's a lot of similarities and just the impact that Halloween and Texas Chainsaw Massacre had even if radically they're completely different kind of horror films. Yeah, they they share a a straight ahead sort of um, approach. Uh, they're they're both 
quite pure horror films. They're uh, very streamlined and uh, and just perfectly designed to do what they set out to do without any uh, mm. extra guff. <laughs> and a lot of implication too, because that I mean, the first Texas Chainsaw can be violent, but like it's not as it's really not gory at all. No, like so much of it is implied almost all of it is but that makes it more terrifying yeah, indeed it's i mean it's 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 no gorier than the first halloween really and there's much more of a political aspect with texas chainsaw massacre yeah. and and this 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 dying hippie gas crisis generation that's moving forward that's very present in the film as to where halloween really focuses on absolute terror and it's not it doesn't seem present until you watch the entire series but i think john carpenter's film does deal uh, with a lot of trauma and a lot of these ideas that are later used in david gordon green's series is this town years later uh, that how they even deal with dr loomis and, and nothing's going to happen you're a crazy old doctor he's pushed aside continuously where he is the firm believer in evil so is there a place in science for something like evil there are multiple questions that are brought up every time you watch this movie and every time it, the implication is further horror and it, it it never ceases to fail and i think truly for october itself no matter what country you live in no matter what the weather is John Carpenter's Halloween is the ultimate Halloween movie. It it and next to that it's Halloween 3 because they equally even though it was shot in Southern California and there's somebody off-screen dumping bags of leaves over the top of palm trees, it really even with the pumpkin carvings, the way the characters are dressed, it brings you to a lost era and you can feel it, you can smell it, you feel a little bit of chilliness on your fingertips. It really does encompass and make Halloween so much better when you can sit and watch this movie in October. Mm-hmm. That's perfect for for any any artist that it, it's going to live forever that way because it truly does define a season now. Yep. And uh well, I guess we're moving on to final thoughts now. I just uh had in my notes that uh I know I, I liked Halloween too a little bit more than everyone else, maybe just uh watching it through nostalgia tinted glasses. But uh, had they only have made three films, um, this would have made a, a nice little trilogy. Uh, maybe not the Star Wars trilogy, but maybe like the Bronx Warriors trilogy. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that. I, <laughs> I kind of want to watch the Bronx uh, trilogy again. But um, yeah, no, I think it would have served much better and i also feel like granted we are in the renaissance now of halloween 3 but let's say because universal thought that halloween 3 even though it still made money the reception to it was terrible it was a franchise killer before mustafa Akkad took it elsewhere let's say it was a franchise killer mm. i actually think that renaissance of it would have came much sooner then because yeah. i feel like not having to go back to that well people would have reassessed and been like you know what maybe it's better we didn't keep getting more and more of this uh and i still want that halloween anthology yeah. each year but like yeah because just what the holiday represents in harry said it perfectly different shapes of evil because yeah. cochran is still evil it's just a completely different shape mm-hmm. that could have been the through line for each one yeah oh and having something to do with a mask like i loved that uh, halloween yeah. three was centric toward masks being like they included it michael was somewhat mm-hmm. there in spirit being able to carry that spirit onward and having some sort of 
connective realm. Like if they do another trick or treat movie, obviously Sam is going to yep. be what carries it. We have something and it could have been, I mean, cause Sam isn't like a trademark of anything. He doesn't carry on the story. He's just there. And it worked mm -hmm. so well that Michael could have even appeared as a mask later on. And mm -hmm. you could have had this as a third film. I, I mean, I don't know what else you could have done with a third movie aside from the anthology. It's a shame it didn't work that way because every when you hear it now, especially like if you watch a commentary and you hear Tommy Lee Wallace or or John Carpenter discuss it, it's like holy shit, that makes sense. Damn, that was a great idea, and you can't mm -hmm. go back and and deal with something like that. And that's really how my thought was with Halloween Ends was, well, what the fuck? You you set all of this up in these other two movies. How how could you do this? And with further reflection and watching it, tw I mean, it, it, you don't have to watch it twice, but when I watched it the second time, it kind of hit me. Oh, I, I, I get it. They made the Halloween three of Halloween threes again. I, oh my God, they, they did that again and they made it, I feel so decisive and so different that it is the Halloween three of Halloween threes again. And you've said this, mm -hmm. it was said on watch skip plus this in 10 years, people are going to come back and go, Oh, Oh, I get it. I finally get it. And I, I'm happy for that day, but I'm also happy for how... I, I'm I'm very unhappy that people are fucking making death threats and, and going vilely <laughs> against one another on Twitter and Facebook. That's not necessary. Your opinion's fine, and that's something to take from this show. No matter what you think, you're not wrong. Don't be mean about it, though. Mm -hmm. It's You can hate something, say it sucks, but don't like threaten to burn somebody's house down over Halloween ends by, by any means. It's made people so emotional. How can you argue this isn't good at that aspect? That no matter what your star rating is, this movie has made people feel something so much more than Dahmer uh, or the last two or three Blumhouse films even. I mean, uh, Malignant drew a lot of, of differences across the board, but this is so powerful in the fact that people can't agree or disagree. It's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and, and unless the ones you like are Resurrection and Five, then, you know, that's a different story. <laughs> no, we'll judge you. Yeah, there's some judgment. I'm sorry. We won't send you death threats, but we'll be like, really? Resurrection? <laughs> At least explain it. Like, give me a good yeah. reason as to why. And if you're, like, related to Buster Rhymes or Buster Rhymes, I get it. That's fine. <laughs> All right then. Uh, Ooh, what a franchise! Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it, as as Harry was saying, this well, as we've all said, it's a shame that uh, they didn't carry on the anthology approach from three onwards. But you know, it could be worse. Um, like the rest of the movies uh, are pretty okay, and we got some interesting tangents with the neo films and the zombie films, and uh, and we never ended up in space. No, not yet. Anyway, not we could yet, still yeah. that could be the next reboot. Michael in space. We also never got, and I will stand by this. I'm sorry to uh, some of the guests that have appeared on Watch Skip Plus, but there was supposed to a pitched idea of Michael versus Pinhead called Halloween, which I still just think is a terrible crossover idea. I no. don't see that working at all. I don't. I would watch it, but like I don't. What? I just they don't seem like they'd mesh. Yeah. I don't think any crossover with with any of the Cenobites could work mm. at all. No. Like nobody. There's nobody that could do it. Well, the only way you can make it work and uh, was almost as a wink nudge nudge wink wink kind of cameo that they pitched in like one of the freddy versus jason scripts where it ends with them fighting in hell and then the chains hit them and then pinhead's just like 
well, what are you two fighting? You know, what's going on here? But the idea is it shouldn't be spawning into a uh, pinhead versus them. It should just be a, like, well, yeah, that's what the Cenobites do. Like, who the fuck are you? That's it. Like, it could, th- that should be the only crossover. Like, there's no, it just doesn't work. If we could take a, like a, a rocket ship back to 1998, I'd say go for it. But we have, we've long past the time of that movie being able to be tolerable. And it, it needed to be a very late 90s to early 2000s film. And it would have worked. It might have worked back then, but no way now. Well, to go, to go off on a, a Hellraiser tangent, I mean, that, you know, that sort of stuff didn't work in Hellraiser films, so it wouldn't work in a crossover. The Cenobites should just turn up for about five to ten minutes per film and, you know, like be slightly imposing while the main plot. <laughs> That's even more more time than I would want. They just need to be there for a couple seconds. I don't need the Cenobites. Yeah, just I need just, the implication. The implication. Yes, them them becoming slasher villains from uh, the third film onwards, which is a mistake they make. I feel in the newer film. Uh, yeah, mm. it's yeah, no, nah, that, that's not where it is. Do I sense a rating of the hollow hello hell oh, fucking Christ hell or Weezer series? I don't, I don't know, know if I want to rewatch no. some of <laughs> the video sequels. No. I do not want to ever rewatch Revelations if I can help no. it. <laughs> so we've gotten to a, a, a great agreeance that Hellraiser went to hell, but Halloween has some semblance of of credentials here. I mean, I I I, I find all of them to be worth the time. But rewatching them all this last month, I I maybe hate Halloween movies. I don't know. <laughs> They're exhausting. I don't know Especially if I like, when them, man. like that. <laughs> There's a handful They need to be spaced good. out. Yeah, especially when you get to the zombie ones, which which I like, but it's like, oh god, I've watched like like ten of these movies or whatever, and now people are gonna shout at me for two hours at a time. <laughs> <laughs> They're all very deeply southern and kisses playing in the background. It's just, it's not complimentary to anything. Fair play, you must have spent most of the budget um, for both of those films on uh, all the songs featured. <laughs> yeah, Nazareth think- Love Hurts is in the end of one of them. I know in the first movie, two kiss songs are played, and Gene Simmons is not cheap. I'm oh, going to yeah. have to pay him for just saying his name. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I think second one also had Knights in White Satin coming up quite a few times. Yeah, several times. That, like the, 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 the whole opening of that movie is a dream sequence, but the entire dream sequence is a six-minute song that goes on for at least 14 minutes. Like what? What weird TV show has had this inclusive long version of the song? And it works. It's really great. But by the end of the scene, you're like, Jesus fucking Christ! Is that on Spotify? Is that whole version available? You gotta write Rob Zombie himself, and he'll send you a disc of it. Well, I think we've managed to to do a first on Death by DVD with fully covering the Halloween series, but we've also recorded the longest Death by DVD episode of all time that. <laughs> I'm looking at four hours and ten minutes right now. And four this edits. Is, this is, it, there's going to be some edits. I was going to say this is promoted as the teaser. This is what we're going to be putting out on Patreon, raw, uncensored episodes with, with lots of free-forming thought, but this motherfucker's getting edited a little bit. There's gonna... We're getting it down to three hours and 59 minutes. <laughs> there's there's definitely going to be some synth and some music in the background it's... and some Halloween sound effects, but uh, yeah. It's going to follow the original plan eventually. <laughs> There'll be two well, I'm glad ed- I could be part of the experiment. <laughs> 
Uh, there'll be a semblance to it, but but truly, Justin, thank you so much. We oh, had it was amazing being on your podcast, and now we have have I, I don't want to say trumped it, but good God, I mean we. I I, I think you can go ahead and say that. <laughs> Not even just in length, but. I never thought, especially with some of the Halloween sequels, that we could get this in depth with them. Uh, all I could think of is, I'm sad that Jose couldn't join us. Yeah. I'm glad I was able to keep him in spirit, but we, this might have been a 10-hour podcast if oh, we had yeah. one more person. Uh, we, we would have at least had another hour or two, and ha- this would have had to have been a Patreon. You're going to have to pay for the last five <laughs> hours of this. But I, I'm so excited to get this out for whole for everyone and then use it as a great diving board to you know continue working with Watch Skip Plus. I loved being on your show. I, I love you and Jose. It, you guys are amazing hosts. Mm. So I'm so excited that you got to take this time, four hours of your Halloween this October. And, and for the audience and the Death by DVD fans that are out there listening to this, please, don't just go follow go listen to watch skip plus but if you spent your halloween listening to four hours about this thank you so much for for letting us into your psyche your mind hopefully you don't go crazy because of all of this but man just like justin said i didn't think we could get so deep into the halloween series yeah and uh and before we go uh I, I don't know if we've adequately explained uh, what Watch Skip Plus entails. Uh, yeah. Justin, do you, do you, do you want to? I was yeah. say, God, did I we... missed that part too. I was just kind of like, let's go into it. Yeah. I so... was terrified that we missed a movie. I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> back to part uh, so four. <laughs> yeah, back to... let's do it again. Uh, skip. No. Uh... <laughs> so Watch Skip Plus is a weekly podcast that Jose and I do covering a new film, whether that be theatrically on streaming or in the case of Halloween ends both at the same time and we kind of give a verdict on whether you should watch or skip it the plus comes from we start every episode by talking about something that we like from the week it can be movie related uh, television video games books lifestyle choice some news article uh, what you had for breakfast the other day it could be anything but kind of giving it more of a a lifestyle feel because sometimes Jose and I especially uh, can get very rambly with our film talks and we forget that, hey, maybe we're all humans and what drives us. Uh, yeah, so just check it out every Thursday at noon Eastern. We, we drop a new episode. Uh, these fine gentlemen joined us along with Sammy to discuss Halloween Ends, which was just such a phenomenal episode. Uh, yeah, so if you love this kind of like when you get deep into films and you don't think you're going to get deep, I mean, we we got deep on a Clerks 3, so, you know, you can get deep on anything. Uh, so check us out. It's anchor.fm slash watch skip plus. Yeah, that, that was a great episode. The Clerks one. Uh, I, I, I listened to it halfway through and then I had to just pause it and like run out and see it <laughs> like just just so I could finish the episode off before you got to the, the your, your spoiler section <laughs> somebody else told us that they they tend to do that they'll wait till they see the movie for the spoilers but they were like so invested in like my and jose's debate because we were on like totally different ends mm. of the spectrum on that film that they're just like i gotta see this through i don't care if they spoil it for me <laughs> that's where i'm at with the halloween episode that i almost want to just go to the spoilers once again when that episode comes out just to, to reaffirm my opinion on the movie because everyone was just amazing on that episode i i don't even think i was expecting 
what we ended up getting into and being able to have such provocative thoughts thrown in your face constantly by each host. It really was a great experience. Yeah. It was just wonderful. Mm. And, uh, yeah. And, and, and big, big shout out to, uh, to Sammy from, uh, the, uh, gentleman's guide to midnight cinema, which is, uh, the first podcast I ever listened to. So I was, uh, a little bit starstruck to see him on my laptop screen. I almost went a bit Wayne's World, but I managed to contain myself. I told We're you I had a treat in store. Yeah, you certainly did. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, I guess we can all say happy Halloween and thank you for listening. The ashtray is full and the bottle is empty. This has been the Death by DVD Halloween special. And once more, I'd greatly like to thank Watch Skip Plus and having Justin here, the cinemasochist, joining us to truly go over the corpse of Halloween. Is it dead? Is this Halloween ends? I don't know. Maybe for the next few years. But for now, I think all of us that have grown up with this series that have had it as horror fans in their heart, this was a terrific ending. And maybe not to the Halloween series, but to this episode. <laughs> but uh, thank you again, Justin, so much for being a, a part of this and having us be a part of your Halloween, too. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was just absolutely wonderful. Cheers, well, that's man. it, everyone. Be pleasant. recorded in front of a dead studio audience.
Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. Crystal Sunshine Mountain, a town USA with transmitters on top of the Empire State Building.